Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Greetings, guys. Welcome to the Bogo Pass Horror Podcast. So happy that you're joining us for this very, very special episode. As usual, this is Scott from Boston. And this is Jim uh, broadcasting to you from a rather overcast Los Angeles. <laughs> it is kind of spicy today. And joining us from across the pond, our friend Nufo from Nufo.com. If you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, if you haven't seen her page, what a silly thing to say. Of course, you've seen her page. Nufo.com does amazing, amazing artwork. Dracula enthusiast, Bella Lugosi enthusiast. So the second we knew we were doing a great, great Bella film, there's only one person we could reach out to. So welcome. Hello. Hi. <laughs> She's going to bring a little class to the show today with an amazing, yes. amazing accent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll try. That's all I always say. I try, which is it's the best you can do. Because when it does come to things with uh, Baylor, there's always some um, new information going about. However, I do have the new book, Becoming Dracula Volume 1, which is pretty much the most up-to-date book on the ghosties' life, well, in regards of 1882 to 1920. Um, volume two is due to be released um, around about autumn, September time. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So if anyone that hasn't been on Facebook, keep an eye out at Nufo.com and she does live readings from the book. It's really, really great. Yes, I've actually finished as well. So people can watch them if they want to. Uh, they're all on under IGTV. Um, and I've done it as a little... Um, like album just called called uh becoming dracula volume one and i basically had to do them in like sections because it does take a long time to read but yes i finished um the last lot uh last week and unfortunately instagram decided to randomly cut me off after an hour which has never happened before so the last part is actually in two pieces there's chapters 18 and then the first half of 19 and then the second one is the other half of 19 and then 20 but yeah i'm slowly doing more quotes on it and stuff which funny enough i literally just posted one about 10 15 minutes ago with some photos as well awesome i can't so wait exciting. i want to listen to this yeah so exciting to hear and again we were you know we haven't done too many lugosi films yet but you know jim and i when we first kicking off this podcast i know you know jim you can certainly get into it but black cat is i know very very near and dear to your heart and um you know this is yeah, of course the uh, 1934 version with lugosi and uh call off as opposed to the the second one which i'm sure we'll get to at some point so i mean yeah jim take this away this is really from a, a Bogopass standpoint this is your baby this is your film so I'm this gonna... is this is a big one i mean i i i'm a uh, you know and, and scott and i from the incept of, of, of this podcast have talked about, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's the universal films that don't need our help promoting them. You know, there's, there's Dracula and Frankenstein and the creature from the black lagoon, the, the big ones. Right. Um, and then, you know, there's some tertiary ones and, and, and that, that, you know, are, are kind of, you know, they've got their own following like son of Frankenstein and, and invisible agent and stuff. And then there's like the lesser known ones that really I always feel need a champion and, and black hat isn't quite one of those. It's, it's pretty well known and pretty well respected, but having, you know, grown up watching all these ones and stuff, it was probably the first, it was probably the first universal film I saw that 
didn't have monsters in it. That the, there was there's nothing technically supernatural that takes place in the film. There's nothing un, inexplainable. Um, it's a it's a dark drama. It's a it's a gothic tale. It's you know um, there's there's no living dead. There's no anything like that. Although we'll get into that. But um, uh, <laughs> but what it really does for me is it more than any other Universal film or other pairing between the two actors, it showcases the powerhouse talents of of Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Sans makeup, sans you know you can see their faces, you can see all their emotions, see everything. They're playing men, and they're playing men, each of which is driven by a compelling need. And and the the dynamic between the two that we get in this film, um, aside from the the artistry and the imagination and the, and the brilliance of the story and, and and setting and all that, it's a pitting of these two talents against each other that's astonishing. And it's why it's what absolutely it's one of my favorite films, and it's definitely one of my favorite Universal films. That's great. It is such a powerful, powerful film. And I admit, I came very late to this one. I did not see this as a kid. I might have been late 20s, early 30s when I first saw Black Cat, which I cannot believe I waited. I don't know if I purposely waited that long, but I just didn't. I was never really on my radar. And, you know, I don't know how available it was when we were younger. I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah. I I mean, mean, I've always been just a huge Lugosi fan and a huge Kaloff fan. And I mean, grew up loving The Raven, of course. You know, that was the first film I saw Kaloff and Lugosi, you know, kind of head to head or, you know, at least in the same film. But I mean, when I saw Black Half for the first time, I went on record a couple of times, at least just to myself, and say, this is like, in, again, my opinion, Lugosi's strongest performance. I cannot believe how great he is in this film. And, you know, Adele Nufo, you you, you take it from here. Like, when did you first see this film? So, yeah, in regards to like seeing a lot of these films, um, this may come a little bit of a shock to you, but in the UK, um, a lot of these films aren't exactly really well known. Mm. So I didn't watch The Black Cat until like a couple of years ago, because the only way I found out through it was through Facebook groups. Um, I'm in some like classic horror groups, or I follow the Bela Lugosi hashtag through Instagram. And that's how I've had to like pretty much find a lot of things. Trying to find um, collections of Lugosi or Karloff, or even Claude Rains, even though Karloff and Rains are both British actors, there's hardly anything about them. Like like you said, there is the big eight, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature, Bride of Frankenstein, etc. Those will always come out in sets. Um, I've got the coffin-shaped one that comes mm. with a book and postcards. Like, those will always be readily available. So even when things like, for example, like Son of Dracula and Dracula's Daughter. I only got those later on, funny enough, uh, through a Christmas present because um, someone knew I love Dracula a lot. So they found the Dracula collection, which nice. has the ghost at the front of it. And um, then I found like that you had like, with the other films, like I'd already seen um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, mm-hmm. But the other ones, I'm like, oh, I haven't managed to get around to watching these uh, because they're just not on TV. They're not really advertised anywhere. Um, which is why I'm always eternally screaming at so many companies that release amazing classic horror related things, but they always tend to be US only. They're never really available for international. So, <laughs> yeah. And, but now yeah. Jim, I mean, <laughs> Jim, to your point, like I'm sure like from a, from a, from a marketing standpoint, this is going to be a tough one to sell, right? I mean, the kids love monsters, you know, Frankenstein monster, Dracula, Wolfman, they see, this is a hard one to sell. I mean, you're not going to sell it on, you know, this, devil, devil worshiping. Um, no, no. Yeah. Th- this this is a different animal. Films. Like, right. That's right. what I call it. It's yeah. so out there. Like you've even got, so you got this, you got the Satanism elements, you got the torture elements, you got the visions of war elements. You've even, if you can push it further, 
some people have said you've even got the essence of paedophilia in there because um, Karloff as uh, Helmar Perlzig, he has married uh, Lugosi's Verdigast daughter. Daughter, yeah. Right. Well. Da- and the daughter of his own right. wife, yeah. No, right, I know. Right. There, there's, um, you know, we, we got into this a little bit, Adele, with uh, we did Murders in the Rue Morgue the Lionel oh, Allen film. God, I love um, that film and 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 this might be another one of those things where may, maybe it's worth you know because the range of our listeners it's, it's hard to determine maybe some of them are younger and mm-hmm. uh and this again might be an episode where we're, you know I'm definitely probably going to get into some some stuff that that's not you know as 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 family friendly as as say you know Frankenstein or something that's going to be <laughs> although I although I can find the, the darkness in, in any of these you know the dark psychological stuff but now this this is a different animal than than you know, Dracula's daughter or any of the other ones and stuff. This this lacks a lot of the fun. This this plays very dead serious, and this is this is a mature concept for sure uh, as as a film. And and it's again, it's just what I. It's a grown up. It it feels like a, a stage play to me. I mean, it feels you could on, honestly put this film on on stage quite easily as as it as it exists in on the film. And oh, yeah. um and do a version of it. It would be, it'll right. be fascinating to watch. Yeah, a couple large sets. I mean, yeah, true. Let's just let's get into it. I mean, this is a yeah. really dense film. There's a ton to talk about. So let's get right into it. So again, 1934's Black Cat, of course, starring Bella Lugosi as Dr. Vitas Rendegast, Boris Karloff as um Helmar Posig. Um, our favorite, my favorite, David Manners, of course, is Peter Allison. <laughs> Love David <laughs> Manners. Love him. <laughs> Julie Bishop as his <laughs> Julie Bishop as sing that with me. I'll stop it. No, no, no. <laughs> Julie Bishop as his wife, John Allison, um, and of course suggested by the uh, Edgar Allan Poe short story. So let's get right into it. So we're rolling, um, you know, post credits, and we're in a train station, and we meet um, Mr. and Mrs. Allison home from a wedding where none of them, none, <laughs> apparently none of them have eaten. They're both starving, yes. but they don't want to admit that they're hungry, which is kind of the fun. That's charming, young love at its best. And then um, apparently, according to the train conductor, one of the uh, the train agents, they've oversold or overbooked the train, and um, they need to now share their compartment with um, one other individual. So Adele, who do they have to share their compartment with? I absolutely love this scene. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's just the way that that hand with the, the hats just appears from nowhere in the perfect circular directional forward stance into the doorway. And then his face appears, which is Lugosi as Verdigast. And he's like, oh, please forgive for my intrusion. Um, <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Hell of an um, entrance, yeah. Yeah, uh, honestly, it really does. Um, it, I honestly, my heart skips a beat every time I see that moment because it's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Because he's he's uh, not to share a carriage with that. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, to me, the the fun of it is that at first, before you get to know him as uh, Vitas Verigas, the character, um, it's just. Oh, we oversold your your train, and Bella Lugosi is going to be sharing your compartment. Yeah, because <laughs> totally. like, he's done no makeup; he just shows up. And, oh, that's Bella Lugosi. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the just the awkwardness of it all and stuff like that. It's a, it's a great setup. It really is. I mean, it's it's Dracula. It's Bella Lugosi. It's you know he kind of he lurks in the in the in the you know in the the door of the train, and it's like, all right, well, here's our here's our quote unquote bad guy of the film. I mean, he's he looks like Dracula. Those eyes, and he's staring. It sets at it up. Yeah, yeah, staring at Allison and the fingers, and yeah, it's a great misdirection. So, yeah, enters the compartment, and uh, I just I this is one of my favorite parts of this whole film. Is you know is um, I just I'm probably going to call him Lugosi over and over again, but um, it's Vertigo kind of explaining his story you know coming back from um a war so what do you guys you got i mean 
Jim, you take this one. I mean, it's kind of the backstory of, of Vertigas. It's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so briefly, um, he sits down, and there's an awkward moment of of you know between between the characters, um, and then uh, the the film's way of relieving it is to have a a, a a suitcase or something be jostled that's hanging above Joan's head and it starts to fall. Uh, Vertigas jumps up and grabs it along with along with Peter, and you know, and sits down, and and it's this line. This film has about six or seven lines that I think are some of the greatest lines ever delivered in a movie. And the first one of these is it's, it's better to be frightened than to be crushed. <laughs> and he just throws it away. Like it's a, it's totally normal, simple thing to say. And, and it's just with the weirdest, most foreboding uh, line. Um, yeah. Uh, as so he sits down and he tell, asks where they're going, they're going to uh, uh, Visegrad. He, he thinks Visegrad is great. They're on the Orient Express, by the way, um, just to, you know, uh, uh, and then they're going on to Gurmbush, uh, which which uh, uh, Visegrad and Gurmbush are real places, by the way. I, I looked in both. Or, or Visegrad is, I don't know if Gurmbush is. Um, I looked it up and I couldn't find it. Uh, but Visegrad is definitely a place in Hungary by a lake. Um, it might have a different name because a lot of names did change um, yes. around 1918. So like where Lugosi was born, which is Lugosh, um, which was originally in Hungary, but after right. December 1918, it's now in Romania. So right, that's exactly. Why people say Lugosi's yeah. from Romania and not Hungary, but right. he was definitely Hungary because he fought for the Austria-Hungary. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, and it definitely would have changed uh, post World War II, as uh, definitely, um, and when when all that changed. Um, I gotta say, so, can, I, can I hop in really quick, Jim? Just I, yeah. I hate to go too far from this. This so again, I love that line as well. It's better sure. to be friend than be crushed. Right, and it's such. An, it's such an awkward thing and it, re, it brought me right back so we have to remember so vernegas has been a prisoner of war for you know 15 years 18 years yes and you, you don't know the last time he's had a normal conversation with anyone and this brings me right back to dracula's castle when renfield first walks in and just that awkward conversation like it's dracula trying to sound to his you know, the best of his ability to sound like a human being but he's yes. not yeah and I just, it's all popping in my mind. It's like this awkward man trying to behave like a normal human being, trying to have a normal conversation. Yes. And yes. Isn't able, is, it doesn't know how, but. right. Doesn't know how to, it's just that awkwardness. Yeah. Um, and, and, but what you really do see is, is the innate charm of Bella Lugosi too, is that, is that despite the, he carries this uncanny creepiness with him there's there's no escaping that but on top of that he can be very social and he's like oh no that's very that's very nice and, you know i too am going very near there and then he gets into the 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 history that um uh have you ever heard of Kurgard? he's been in Kurgard. so the setup is that uh following the war we're, we're talking about world war one he served uh in 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 for kaiser and country so he would have fought on the side of the germans and in, in in world war one um being a being a hungarian uh person um uh, just just like Bella did. So, so the character and the actor now, they're giving Bella a chance to play a character that has a certain amount of commonality with, with his own history. And that's a very interesting thing. I think it'll be interesting to get into as we go into the film. Um, uh, but at, following the war, apparently he was taken um, prisoner and taken to a place called Kurgard. Um, I assume by the Russians, right? It, it, Adele, would that make sense with you that, that if, yeah, probably. Yeah, because that's that's what he says that that they sold the, the, them to the Russians, right? So he's been a prisoner of war. Um, he's a doctor. He's been in a prison camp or, or prison, you know, some some sort of like gulag apparently. And now mm -hmm. he's returned, and of course he's returned with an agenda. He doesn't reveal it yet, but um, 
the latent menace of what his plan is is very very obvious even if you know you don't know the details i mean one of my the favorite lines maybe in all of universal cinema when he's exactly he's trying to hold this conversation and you know he says he's you know the quote few have returned but i have returned and he says it probably three or four times i I have returned and he has that menace and that beautiful bella lugosi face and the, the eyes just His a eyes gr- tear up, I swear they do, because before that he's explaining um that you know he he left a girl um uh, so mm. much like your wife, and then as she's sleeping, you know, he's like he gracefully puts his hand just just above her hair like as if he's going to stroke it but right not sure and he does have this romantic look in his eyes with a with a slight smirk but it's not a smirk it's like a feeling of happiness because there's that connection between himself to another woman that he hasn't seen probably for a very long time and for him in his life that was something that was quite real for him as well especially with his first marriage like the ghost he did um fought in world war one from 1914 to the 60 in the Carpathians, which is probably one of the most brutal parts of World War One, and often isn't taught much in school curriculums, which is a shame because you're talking mountains, snow, uh, minus 25 degrees Celsius temperatures. So okay. Fahrenheit, that's like, I can't remember what Fahrenheit is, but that, it's very, very low. And to the point of, uh, because even in the Becoming Dracula book, it does explain um, about every night, uh, Lugosi and all the other troops there, they would have to dig up their own graves to fall asleep in just in case, like if they were killed while they were asleep, because if not, if it wouldn't have been someone to kill them, it would have been the cold temperatures instead. And you would have had to have done that every night for months. Which oh, is just imagine what that would weigh. I mean, just how that would weigh on you after all that time. And you can see it. I mean, Lugosi plays that. You can see the weight and Vertigas you know, his face, his mm-hmm. performance. And, you know, he's he's back. Few have few have returned, but I have returned. And, yeah, so they arrive at the destination by train, and they're sharing a car with um, Dr. Vetus um, and his driver. And, of course, it's a very, very stormy night. And it's a kind of a great, um, you know, little descriptor of the countryside that they, you know, they're traveling across a battlefield. They're tra- tra- traveling across a graveyard, really. So, you know, right off the bat, mm-hmm. they're setting the scene of, of war and destruction, um, and then before too long, unfortunately, the car goes off the side of the cliff and, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Allison, or especially Mrs. Allison is, is injured. And it's, um, you know, it's, um, sorry, Dr. Vetus and his assistant now carrying um, Al- Mrs. Allison to this poem of, you know, we're going to learn is, is, is Helmar. So uh, I guess as we enter, uh, I guess the Helmar compound here, I need one of you guys to to one of this because this is one heck of a place. Well, we, we've where we're introduced when we get to the train station. I do want to mention that we're we're introduced to uh, there's a there's a guy who is is Lugosi's who's Vendergast's I should say. Um, he's his body man. He's an assistant, uh, obviously kind of his bodyguard as well. So Vendergast oh, yeah, sort of has this guy who I can only assume he's he's hired somehow through correspondence or something. I don't know. Um, it he's he's kind of his muscle as well. Never, never has a line. We don't know if he's mute or just, you know, not very loquacious. He also kind of works for Pearl's egg as well, and he's like, no, 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 don't do anything now. Like that's well, that yeah, we'll get into that. That that's the can, it gets a little tricky as we go on, but but in the meantime, he he is his he calls him his assistant a few times, um, yeah. and his assistant helps pick up Joan and and help carry her 
up to the castle. They're going to head there. Um, you know, the whole drive the the drivers, you know, this, this old mustachioed kind of guy is driving along and he's, he's telling the story of this battle. And like, this is one of the greatest graveyards in all of Europe, thousands of dead blood in the things. And you see, you know, poor Veritagast in the back, he's full on <laughs> having a PTSD episode. And he's just like, could you shut up? Right. Like just what for a minute, like Veritagast is literally like, he's, he's going in a catatonic state from all this. Like the guy's just, bringing up all the worst memories of his life <laughs> he's feel like so closing his eyes like it almost looks like he's falling asleep like yeah. he's like yeah yeah i know i know he's definitely in the past there, yeah. i've done that yeah it's all brought <laughs> up and stuff but it's and a great way that the film gets it, it keeps getting all this exposition out um so we never need a flashback in this movie we never need to see what happened we have enough people describing the horror of what happened that we're we're good we don't we don't need to go there so it's it's a nice device that the the film uses and it's these li- it's these little bits too that i really appreciate it just shows lugosi's range you know up to this point we knew him as you know dracula and the scary but just to see like the emotional range of lugosi and just yeah. in a in a in a short scene like that and exactly right jim it's P, you know ptsd yeah. he's been in internment camp for 15 you know, 18 years, his wife is gone, his daughter's gone. This man is in a ton of pain and Lugosi yeah. just performs that. I mean, just, it's not much of a scene, maybe, you know, 10, 20 seconds, but again, just hit the range that he brings to this film is and, just and incredible. I, I think he, I think he has that ability obviously as an actor, but he also has, I think he could tap into some, some real stuff too and use it. And, yes. and I think that's a lot of what we see uh, in, in throughout the film uh, with him. Um, yeah. So uh, Adele, uh, they they get to the house. Um, talk talk to talk a little bit about uh, Pearl Zig's uh, uh, house, if you if you will. Yeah, because it's all very Art Deco themed, yes. which is just perfect because it is 1934, which is the middle of the Art Deco period. Anyway, you see it in a lot of pre-code films and uh, quintessentially through um, a lot of the classic horror films as well. But yeah, it's a marvelous setup, but. Um, it's basically been built on basically death. And mm. um, there is like that moment where um, Lugosi is uh, like saying, you know, you could say that this is a house uh, is full of death or something. And I think even uh, like Manor's character says, oh, if uh, if I wanted someone to build an sailor asylum, he would be the man for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite easy. <laughs> but uh, the thing that struck me the most, though, the way this house is set up, considering there is a cat on set and being called the black cat, there are lilies everywhere. And lilies hmm. are actually poisonous to cats. Yes. So I'm thinking, why would you have all those lilies in there? You could be killing, you could kill off your cat by accident someday. But yet again, you've got Lugosi uh, as Vertigas, like throwing a knife because he's actually terrified of right, right. Uh, cats with the whole superstition thing. Um, but yeah, the, the whole setup, like you've got that lovely uh, staircase that curves around up to the top of the second floor. Um a lot of square shapes, triangular. You can even see some of the um, the ornaments on the desk. And I think even the clock, it's like a triangular shape. But I think one of the most Art Deco type like shots is when Karloff as Pelzig wakes up and he's sat around and it's his silhouette. Yes. That profile just really captures the essence of Deco along with those straight lines from his bed curtains. And I just, it's just so quintessential deco. It's a really cool shot, uh, very artistic with the cinematography, which I totally appreciate as well. Um, I mean, just that yeah. scene really quick, Adele. I mean, and Jim too, he sits up so slowly. And it's, mm. I mean, it is yeah. all cow off, just that, that profile. And it could be the monster. He's got, 
with his haircut the way he's it got is. kind of that flat top that square head right I there's mean, a little it, nod to it that's yeah. right that's right um something i find interesting in the film and and it will we'll get back i, I would want to talk about the house a little bit more as well but um is is you, you see Karloff, you know sans any padding or lifts or boots or anything as as when he played the monster and you see Karloff is he's a very lean man uh very you know while he's taller he's very slight of build um and and you you it almost makes me want to make this uh mental jump between like this is this is the frankenstein monster and here's this very slender uh, man and he you know he plays haljamar Halamar Polzig. um he plays him very effeminate too he doesn't play uh the aggressive boogeyman he plays him very slight and very gentle and soft-spoken you know to some degree uh, he plays against what we would call it against type um but that just gives the character all this so much more menace and stuff um uh yeah that the house you know i always think of this is basically a castle it, it's an art deco castle but it, it's a castle on top of a hill that that we're we're trapped in so at this point now we're we're into a very classic uh gothic story here kind of like castle of otranto or something like that goes back to all the way the the basics of, of of gothic literature um they're trapped in a castle that's that's the 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 you know beginning and end of it everything on top of that the art deco thing and the you know um there's a you know almost like a, a safe dial that, that the servant uses to unlock the door which slides there's a neon intercom um the the radio is like a clock dial i mean everything is is designed to the nth degree and, and edgar j omer was a production designer before he um became a director he worked on uh the golem um, he'd worked vaguely, he'd worked on some stuff, I think, you know, well, mostly in Germany, like Ufa uh, films and stuff. And he brought that aesthetic, you know, kind of thing to, to, to the, to the film. Uh, and, and the budget for the, for the set design, if, if IMDb is to be believed, it was not much. It's, it's $1,500 or something like that. And of course they, they probably had standing sets that they could use for other things. But, um, but, but when you really look at it in HD now, like, you're like, okay, it's, it's, it is literally like a, plywood and, and and aluminum foil laid on top and some paint <laughs> and stuff like that the 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 design itself is one thing the actual build of it is a little um it's a little on the on the cheaper side when you really you know give it a, 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 a serious look but but everything i'll just finish with everything in this film is designed from from everything's a piece of architecture from from boris karloff's bathrobe to his hair yeah. to the the water bowl that the lady brings that's this weird wide big bowl and oh stuff my like that. god yeah that it looks like a huge fish bowl but it's been yeah. squashed it's so impractical it makes yeah. no sense yeah like what, what <laughs> she, you, you can see the actress struggling to carry this big bowl of water <laughs> yeah. um it's really wide but uh but yeah i just i just love that that everything there's a there's a handcrafted feel to everything uh in this in this film that really just like yeah you know, makes me makes me that uh, it thrills me and then of course you get into like the basement bit later where he's doing yes. that seance and then there's a whole no whole other setup there with a very kind of illuminati like you could say with the four pillars and yeah um, Ooh, the good call yeah and, yeah so yeah, the complete opposite of uh of, uh, of, of, of the art deco modernism uh, on top and stuff so there's a, there's a yeah that's the other thing that's a very good contrast but yeah so so they you know they get there um the servant reluctantly in his bathrobe uh opens the door first of all i've never seen a horror movie where more people spend more time in their pajamas than this movie <laughs> 90% of it is everybody in their bathrobes. I'm telling I you. can relate to this. I've always been <laughs> There's a bathroom like, aficionado, I can tell. Oh my God. Like, if you've seen my um, uh, reads of Becoming Dracula, yeah. the book, it, every single live is me in my purple robe, which is what I'm in right now. 
Um, I literally live in this. Um, through the whole of lockdown, it was purple robe. <laughs> See, this, this should have been our video show. So we, we always just do audio. Our listeners are missing out on a great yes. purple robe. You need Adele. You need to save up and get that get that smoking jacket replica. Oh my god! That, I that Carl offers with the, 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 the quilted uh, uh, silver yeah. uh, collar and stuff like that. He's he's fantastic. But even even Lugosi's bath or, or ba- yeah, uh, pajamas that you see him in one time is yeah, are they're very, very um, and strange. They do look like they're, they're tailored. But they got that kind of like martial art looking appearance to them. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah he looks Great. like. He, looks like he goes to like a Shaolin temple or something. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, Asian influence in this. Uh, obviously, uh, Carlos Robe is definitely like a yukata style uh, kind of thing, and so it's real with the wide sleeves and stuff. Um, the servant brings them upstairs, and there's this. Anyone who's seen the film knows there's this amazing staircase with the glass brick wall that's backlit behind them and stuff, and it's just an, a wild. Uh, it's an amazing visual, and they make a make a lot of use out of it in the film. Um, to to the upstairs when the upstairs is a little more conventional than the downstairs. Um, they put they put Joan in the bed. Uh, uh, Doctor Venegas, you know, takes care of her and stuff like that. And he he he, you know, he treats her. He thinks she's okay, but he gives her an injection of some sort of uh, <clears throat> narcotic. Narcotic, uh, I think he says. Yes, yes, and yeah. so she will sleep and stuff. He he does that, and then he he goes back downstairs, and and we get this amazing first scene with with uh, Polzig and 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 Verdegast you know, confronting each other for the first time in, in more than a decade, right? Mm-hmm. It's been at least 18 years, right? And yeah, we get to learn a little bit more about, you know, Vetus and, and Halmar, you know, their association and the war. And, you know, Halmar basically, um, you know, was just you know completely treacherous and sold out, you know, sold out the weapons, sold out his his unit and basically left everyone to die um, and then, you know, disappeared and started his, his little life here. So as as the commander of the, he was the commander of the fortress. That's right. And then, and then apparently he betrayed to the Russians and then and then got away um, with with apparently uh, uh, Verdigas's wife Karen um, and there's a great mention in like he's like you always wanted her in the old days before the war in Salzburg so you get the idea that there's there's a like a prequel movie here almost where Karloff and Lugosi are like in school together and they're probably like friends and probably competitors and you know back in their in their 20s and stuff so they don't belabor the point, you know, it, it, it's just nodded at, but you get the feeling that there's, there's so much history between these two characters and their friends, competitors, and now obviously mortal enemies, um, a lot of history. Right. And Helmar was never, never shy about admitting to him. It comes a little bit later in the film, but, you know, in talking about Vetus's wife, you know, I've always loved her and we'll get to, I don't want to, I don't want to skip ahead too far because there's a pretty, you know, pretty interesting reveal in the basement, but very, very open to the fact that, you know, hey, I loved her too, Vetus. Um, yeah. And I'm, as I'm going through my notes here really quick, Adele, you had mentioned it earlier, some of the, the great quotes. And I think as they're having this conversation between um, Vetus and um, Helmar, he says, there's a master, describing the house, a masterpiece of construction built on the masterpiece of destruction and murder was a, mm-hmm. just a great, great line. And doesn't that explain it all, really? It's like the uh, house of death. The house of death, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Puts out more on what Pearl Zig's characters really like and what his intentions are as well, without giving too much away. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, Vietas basically, it's almost like his, his therapy is, you know, telling him, I've rotted, you know, 15 years when you, you know, you, you sold us out. I've been rotting in a dungeon for 15 years um, yeah. in darkness. And look, and look at what all, he's been doing, yeah. You're right. And he knows somehow that um, that Helmar took his wife. I don't know if she went with him you know, against her will or whatnot, but Vetus knows that Helmar has taken his wife and his daughter and basically wants to know their location. 
We well, tracked him. I mean, he's tracked him through Spain and and wherever right. else. He says, you know, I mean, he's he's been on a he's been on a detective mission now. I mean, I don't feel like he I don't feel like he got out of jail, you know, whatever the prison like yesterday. I feel like he's been out maybe a year or so, and he's been working at this. And you know, obviously, he's gotten to a point where he's healthier now, and you know, uh, looks 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 like he's you know he's eaten decently and 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 everything more than you'd expect in someone in a Russian prison, obviously. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, but but you know he he's back and he's got an agenda and we here's where we really do learn what uh, uh, Verigas' uh, intentions are. Yeah, I mean again wants to know where his wife and and daughter are on before that reveal is is allowed to happen. Uh, Peter Allison wakes. I don't know if he wakes up, but excuse me, he was in his room, you know, probably he's unpacking. Yeah. Peter Allison walks in the room, so now we kind of have um, you know a three pod conversation between uh, Vitas Halmar. And Peter Allison, of course, the two, you know, Lagosi and Kalaf are now on their best behavior. And, you know, Kalaf gives that, you know, a little, you know, that, I don't know, almost a mischievous smile, but, you know, hello, welcome to my home. And, you know, all the, just all the tension that was building up to this one, you know, yeah. this one yeah. moment. So, get it up. says, oh, you know, this is uh, these photographs, one of the world's greatest Hungarian, um, not writer or something, but. Doctor, um, yeah. Yeah. Is, one of the world's greatest architects. And then, of course, Manor's character is like, well, I'm a big, good reader of books or something. Yeah, he's like <laughs> one, of, one of America's least important writers of or yeah. whatever. And, then, and it turns out he writes mysteries, which is, I th- I mean, I think it's a great uh, cue. And I, I just think it's a neat element for for, for uh, the Allison character. It's like, yeah, he writes mysteries and he's kind of caught up in one now. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. And it pays like, off. Yeah, it. Uh, but Karloff is so, first of all, I mean, I, I will say like, while, while I do think this film is almost exorcising some of Lugosi's demons as he's performing this character. And he's, he's doing this in a kind of a methody, very, very intense way. Um, Karloff is having a blast in this film. You can tell like, he's not, first of all, you know, there's no eight hour or four hour makeup before shooting for him, you know, on this one, like there is for Frankenstein or, or, or even later on in the Raven. Um, you know, he's, he's just got the toupee wig and he's, I think he's got like, you know, some makeup and fake eyebrows and everything going on, but, um, yeah, by Jack Pierce as well, which is cool. Yeah. And he's Jack dressed, um, which, which, you know, we, we, we talk about the big makeups like Wolfman and stuff with Jack Pierce, but Jack Pierce could do these subtle things too. that were very interesting and very artistic and, and really, you know, there's there's no doubt with with the music and with his look when Karloff walks in the door. There's no doubt who now is the villain of the of the film. Like you're like, no, yes. it's, it's it's him. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but but you know, Karloff gets to wear these beautifully tailored outfits and stuff like that, and he gets to, but he gets to act the shit out of this role, and he's having. <laughs> you can tell he's having the best time. You know, being menacing, and then as soon as 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 David Manners' character comes in, he he puts on this like very polite air, and he's 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 smiling with his mouth and he's his eyes are just burning coals of evil and stuff and and he's just nice uh i just i just feel like i'm watching an actor uh really enjoying uh the you know playing playing a a, a real awful 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 person yeah <laughs> which i is, think is more, so, really fun he's so strange and you said it jim like early he's kind of fey he's not He's yeah, not, he's not overly masculine. He's not overly feminine. He's just—he's not like, trying to be physically intimidating. He no, he's all. not the romantic lead. He's very asexual, a personality. Yeah. He's—he's something else, you which is harder to quantify. Like for villainy, in a way, as well, because you find when it does come to uh, a lot of villains, even by today's standards, most villains are normally um, English or British, and I think that's where a lot of things with Karloff back there, and he probably did start that stereotypical British villain. It's um, interesting, yeah. Probably well spoken, and yeah. often that means that's deemed as a threat for a lot of people. 
um, in a way, which is quite interesting. But yeah, for yeah. some reason, you normally find, oh, they've got an English accent. They're clearly the villain. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I, I swear it's, it, it, the villain always has to deliver a lot of expositionary dialogue. And who's better mm-hmm. at that than, than someone with, you know, received pronunciation? Carl, I mean, he does he does come off a bit of like a Bond villain in this. I mean, he, you, yes. you could you could see yes. the you could see the um the gestation of that type of 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 of, of uh, villainous character in him uh, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say between Halmar and Vetus's um, his manservant. I mean, he yeah. what a great Bond music like, odd job like odd job like big yeah, big, God. big brother That's right. Such a good connection. I never realized that. <laughs> no, no, That's Mr. Lugosi, I expect you to die. Oh my God! <laughs> Hold on, we've just been talking about the Art Deco house, that staircase. Okay, right. This is gonna be really, really random because you just said about odd job and whatnot. So think of like Austin Powers. You got Doctor Evil, and he's there, <laughs> and he's got like you know his like. Um, bodyguard guy but look at the staircase it's yeah. pretty much the same it's the it, same it, setup it's 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 very it's very much like that um uh and oh, and i just you know i i adele I've, I've talked a little bit on the podcast about how i talk about physiognomy and bone structure um because i i have a background in makeup as well as filmmaking and stuff and and you know we talk about carl we talk about how unique the frankenstein monster makeup is and everything and but you look at you know i've got the film paused right now on, on karloff in my room here and uh-huh. nobody in modern time looks like boris karloff boris karloff was a man yeah. of a certain era uh very few people, especially Americans and even Brits, are are that slender anymore. They don't yeah. have the bone structure. Karloff had the missing uh, uh, teeth that he could take his bridge out and his face would sink in. Um, that you know he's he's of partial East Indian uh, heritage on his mom's side and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he you know, he brings a few things to the fore here that like you could make someone up now and try and make him look like a like a Boris Karloff character, and I don't think it's going to work because. You don't have that facial structure that that all they have to do is do a little wig and a makeup and stuff like that. And then holy Jesus, this guy creepy looking. It's so true because it's the it's a phrase of saying they had faces back then. Mm-hmm. When people say, Oh, they had faces back then, some people don't understand what that means. But yeah. I kind of get it because when you look at people like Harloff, even Gloria Holden when she does um, you know, Countess for Dracula's daughter and a, yeah. they do have specific face shapes. Even oh, Lugosi right. has mm-hmm. A face that really can't be the Matched. same anywhere. It's uh, yeah. it rains as well. He had like these kind of sunken-ish eyes, but they weren't sunken in a way. So right. he could be a sympathetic character. He could be an evil character, and that's what like Carl was like. Like you're saying, like his face is so animated. Like you could easily create like a cartoon from him. Same yes. for um, mm-hmm. Conrad Beat as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good point. His face is just like. Oh, such a construction! And oh, right. Yeah, and we talk about we talk about like about back then with people's faces. They were very um. They just had this structure, didn't they? And today yeah. you just don't have that. And I and, and I also think the film industry kind of weeds those people out these days, especially in America. Yeah, um, it's a shame uh, because it brings character and someone's personality more. And I feel you can create more when someone actually has a face that you can play with. Yes. Whereas yes. now everyone seems to be a bit of a carbon copy. Yeah, as, as, as a guy who did a zombie film a few years ago, I will tell you that in, in LA, it's very difficult to cast zombies because everybody looks like an Abercrombie and Fitch model and you can't <laughs> you can't build on top of that because everyone just looks puffy. So I ended up having to cast uh, friends of mine who are circus people and and little circus people and flame breathers and stuff. Um, 
because because I had to find people who had that bone structure, bigger noses or skinnier jaws and stuff that then you build on top of that. It's it's pretty challenging. Otherwise, like I said, it just looks like an Abercrombie and Fitch model bus got attacked by zombies and they all turned into zombies and it doesn't quite um, <laughs> uh, work out. But um, but this this scene, I do love the scene. I love getting back to it. Um, Verdigast in front of Peter Allison takes every opportunity to, to, to kind of put Pearlzig on the spot and kind of humiliate him and run him down. I mean, he's Verdigast is enjoying... This is the beginning of, I guess we'll call it the game that these two characters play with each other throughout the rest of the the second, third acts of the film, um, where there's a whole thing happening between them that they're not going to share with Peter and Joan. Uh, you know, they, they've got personal business that they're taking care of. Peter and Joan are, are if we want to call them our hero and heroine in the film, um, mm-hmm. are sort of uh, unwilling participants and and we could yeah. say pawns in this game, in the this, game, this, sure. this dead, very deadly game mm-hmm. that these two dangerous men are playing. Um, and then here we have the uh, the the famous the the uh, the, the the cat scene with Lugosi, which um, <laughs> can we talk about how Vitas Verdigast can throw a letter opener twenty feet across the room with deadly accuracy? <laughs> <and> <laughs> like, like is this something you picked up in the Russian prison? Maybe, possibly. Like, there's maybe. a skill set yeah. here that I don't. I'm not sure why a doctor would have that skill set, but okay. I say while having a panic attack, he's throwing knives yes. across a room. No, exactly, I mean, this guy, exactly. this guy's great. So the fear of cats is called aelurophobia, I- um, and the the medical community still in, in 2021 is not really sure where it comes from. There, you know, if it is it is it a carryover from back in you know ancient ancient you know early American times where or early human times I used to say where um where cats were a danger to us you know saber toothed tigers or, and and lions and whatnot. Um, why is a why is a hundred and eighty pound grown man afraid of a of a seven or ten pound small animal that yeah has claws and all but you know hey. Um. Uh. What What is the cost? That I have a friend who has has this phobia. She's a full grown woman, and I'm telling you, she is terrified of little tiny cats. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's a, that's why it's a phobia. Um. It It can be a debilitating phobia because, honestly, there's a lot of cats in the world that we interact with. Well, I have a fear of like spiders and a few other things, and those are freaking tiny compared to right. cats. Um, but yeah, like you said, it could be derived like back from maybe the Neanderthal-like period that's, and stuff. But that's my yeah, only I've seen people who um, are afraid of cats either because of they had a bad experience with one when they were a child, right. and, and it attacked them and it stayed with them. Uh, but yeah, with the whole cat thing, it might be from that. Or some people are still superstitious, aren't they? The whole superstition of a black cat's going to give you bad luck, like. Yeah. You know, every, I am, yeah, I, I, every I am once in a while, I, I, I see yeah, this come I, up online on Twitter and stuff like that. And people apparently there are people who still in 2021 believe that somehow a cat who happens to be have black fur is bad luck. And I, I wonder we let I guess we let these people drive and vote as well. I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> do these people I wonder if these people like spit before going over a bridge. So trolls don't get them. I mean, how? In God's earth, do you brilliant. somehow think this is it, in case trolls might? Yeah, that no, that that, and that's a real thing too. Well, I mean, that was a no thing. way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd spit before you go over a bridge so the troll doesn't get you. I don't know. That's um, weird. I've yeah. never heard of that. So, Helm, so this is an interesting point. So Helmar goes on to explain, I think, to Peter, and then I was to Joan yeah. comes in at one point um, about Vetus's fear of cats, and he mentions over and over. It mentions black cat that a black cat <laughs> is deathless and deathless is evil. So is it yeah. cats or is it just would just a black cat trigger Vetus? Not sure. I, I, I would. I mean, he says he has a fear of cats, but in an extreme sense. 
Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, and like I said, Scott and I are both big cat guys too. I've, I, Scott's uh, cat has helped uh, in the, on the podcast a few times, hasn't he, Scott? Oh, super helpful. Yeah. Carl, he's not going on you. Yeah. He's right, right, over the microphone. He's climbed up my head. It's, he's been great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is why we don't do video anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, I would have lived. For I'm that. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> So, so on the heels of of killing the the the, the cat, um, Joan comes in, and and I do believe the film is trying to make a a um a kind of connection between Joan and the and the and the cat to some degree as as this as this uh kind of feral creature. So you have a scene where she comes in and she she talks to uh Pearlzig a little. She introduces herself. She's you are our host and everything. Um, but very much in a trance or over yeah. overly medicated, right? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the idea is that she's doped up. Um, and, and that, that in her current state, it has made her, um, it is, it is kind of activated a certain like sexuality within her that, that, you know, isn't normal. I, I think, I think the scene comes off a little more tame than now than they would, it would have been in 1934. Um, I, I think back then there would have been, it would have felt a little more electric and now it, it feels just by nature of where we are now, it feels more demure than that. But, but there's definitely this great scene where she turns around and she just like puts her, puts her lips on, on, uh, Peter in front of the two, other two men. And you have this great shot where like Karloff grips the arm of this nude statue of his bronze <gasps> yes. and stuff in yeah. frustrations. I mean, now you're seeing the beginning of, of, of course, uh, Halmar's obsession with, with Joan, um, mm-hmm. Which he he likes to say again later on in the thing he says it's 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 his interest in her is only spiritual but uh, Verdigas says there's nothing spiritual in your eyes when you saw that and looked at her um, the, the yeah the idea is that that Joan who who is virginal she's just newly married this is this is ostensibly their wedding night yeah the honeymooners yeah, yeah mm-hmm. um, uh, is therefore you know set up for for you know the the sacrifice at the end because of her her you know state um of mainhood uh um you know i like the moment of peter picture i was like we're going upstairs <laughs> carries her away um again i think the scene probably played a lot more erotic in 34 than it, it plays now uh but i i do like i i like what uh um you know that the the vibe of the the scene and stuff and he, he carries her upstairs and and puts her back to bed and and of course peter is just he his his desires were awoken by hers as well unfortunately they're in a situation where where nothing can happen and and that sort of propels us you know into the next scene upstairs what's funny yeah because vetus comes in he puts i think um helma puts peter in a room further down the hall from his new wife and vetus actually comes in and says hey do you want to switch rooms and be closer to yeah. your <laughs> be but, closer to your wife and he he accepts but yeah so we enter a really really interesting scene of um helmar by himself so he's you know he's well, well, well hang, hang, first we got to do we got to talk about this upstairs scene here because this, right. this is the scene with the line in it where you know they put her to bed and he peter puts her to bed comes back in the hallway and helmar and and, and vita are up the hallway so it's the three men again and yeah. and vita says you know i i don't want to presume but but he's basically like you can't have your wedding night tonight she's in a weakened state so there's no nookie for you tonight buddy and i'm really you know i'm sorry about that um in a very genteel way in a very very professional doctoral way it's like i hate to presume but you know peter's like well what what do you think happened to her and he's like i think it's maybe the narcotic and he goes on this little thing and, and peter has the line where he says it sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me and Lugosi delivers this line that that I will tell you is it's it's an undeliverable line and Lugosi <laughs> 
Adele, nails it in a way. Adele, you got, Adele, you got to be the one. You got to be the Yay! one. Yay! I love yes, this quote. Please go ahead. <laughs> Supernatural, perhaps. Baloney, perhaps not. There are many a, things under the sun. <laughs> with a deadly straight face, and he sells this the maybe the goofiest line I've ever heard written. And he sells <laughs> he it perfectly. His eyebrows and, up as well. So he does that whole like he does this thing with his eyebrows. Like okay, right. I really love his eyebrows, and yes, um, yeah. it's like the way they just curl up. Where he's like, hmm, supernatural, <laughs> perhaps yes. you know. But then it's like, hmm, yeah, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, coercively in yeah. such a way. Um, yeah, I love it. So we, we I, don't I am very tempted to get a baloney tattooed on me with the word supernatural. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> we had a little fun game going on Facebook earlier. It was like, give one line of a movie and, you know, that people are going to recognize. And of course, Adele, you picked the right one. That was your... That oh, was did your, I? You did. Right. You totally did. But you had like the ready-made, like how you have those quotes with that really, that amazing yeah. board that you do. Yeah, I love making my new faux quotes. It's so good. It's just another way of like adding some, right. So with me mainly doing art and the one of the issues of being an artist is keeping some content going on Instagram. And I thought I'll do the quote things because they're quite quick to do. Um, and yeah, I just have a lot of fun with those now. Um especially as I've read a few books and I can find some really nice quotes that some people might not even have heard of from uh, Lugosi's life while going through acting. But then, of course, yes, you do need like some really good famous ones as well from movies. And The Black Cat does have quite a few, which is uh-huh, fantastic, absolutely. really. Six, six yeah. or seven great ones. We're only, we're only on like the second, I believe. What an amazing line. I, I think... Some of the bet my favorite of the Universal films are the ones that combine this this gothic uh, uh, aesthetic, this 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 uh, uh, mythic quality, um, with a very what would have been then very contemporary noir type dialogue. Um, uh, uh, House of Horrors, Scott, we talked about this. Does that really well? Yes. Like, uh, the female character is this like real punchy, you know, you know, smart smart Alec girl and stuff like that. So in the midst of this very, you know, the 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 the, the creeper stalking in the mist and stuff. You have this like rat tat tat, very cool uh, dialogue. Um, and and this film has a few of those bits where you know between like the baloney one and like Lugosi will just with that amazing accent of his, he'll say you'll come out with phrases like "you're rotten cult," you know. Mm. Um, and I think it, it 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 they balance each other out. It dismisses the the archness of some of you know that that these movies can fall into sometimes. Uh, where it almost feels like a period piece or it feels like a whatever. Um, and it, and it brings it down to earth and stuff, but it really, these lines like this also have a real punch too. And I think um, they speak well for the the character too. The, you know, the, the characters are men of their era as well. Um, we're not in the 1800s anymore. And, and this film is, is really very much set in the thirties, Scott. I mean, you know, we talk about the Adele, we talk about the universal pocket dimension where there are, people with telescopes and there's also like fortune tellers and covered wagons at the same time. Like you're never sure what year it is sometimes that, and you're what country yeah, years. And there's a, there's a lot of gray area that is existing. And it's the pocket universe that these films exist in this film, of course, very much rooted in, in a, in a, in a mid thirties kind of thing. Um, Alistair Crowley is becoming a, 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 a person that people are aware of. And I think that influenced uh, the Karloff character a lot. Um, apparently Edgar J. Omer uh, based him partially on Fritz Lang as well, because he had known Fritz Lang a little bit in Germany and oh, thought God, Lang yeah, he was hit didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thought Lang was was really like a, a demon, like really like a, a fat a, 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 a sadist, uh, it says. Um, and so he kind of 
kind of channeled that a little bit, um, which is which is interesting. Um, there are some fantastic uh, photographs of Lang as well. I um hmm. I found one recently, and it's very quintessentially Deco again, and it's yeah. in it's a sepia tone, and basically he's got this really weird looking um magnifying monocle glass type thing and it's hexagonal and it's really cool and you've got a like steam, steampunk effect thing over it as mm-hmm. well because that's the other thing i do like finding really quirky photographs or some things um uh, especially something i like to call weird vintage wednesday and uh, nice. yeah he's it, when i found this lang photo i'm like oh my god i really I, he was actually quite a handsome guy as well that's the other thing with it this time huge, yeah. period actors directors producers they were all good looking <laughs> Mm-hmm. What is that about? Well, well <laughs> Carl, Carl Freund, I don't know, but okay. I mean, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> he, he had a few extra pounds on him, but but I'll, I'll give it oh, to you. Yeah. No, no, but like you're you're. Right. I mean, everyone had a look, and and maybe Adele, maybe this might just be you know your your aesthetic, obviously. Uh, but like you know, like Todd Browning, you know, was a smart looking dude with a little mustache and stuff, and yes. and um and James James Whale himself too. Uh, oh my god, yes. Even yeah. even Jack Pierce, makeup artist. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow, neat He's looking a good dude. Looking makeup artist. <laughs> Scott, Scott, it was an era of tiny pencil mustaches. I just don't know if that's ever coming back. I don't know. I think we, you know, you and I could start it. We could be the trendsetters, Jim. I don't know. I, I, I think we're, back. I think we're both good with our bushy gray beards. But okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Carla, so, so I should say, uh, Halmar uh, escorts Peter and and uh, Vetus to their rooms. He puts Vetus in the room next to Karen and puts uh, Peter further away from her, which again, you know, sort of starts uh, letting you know what his plans are. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, there's a little scene where they're, they're kind of getting ready for bed and uh, they, they switch rooms. Uh, uh, Veritas is like, maybe possibly want to be closer to your wife, you know? Okay. Um, I guess there's a wisdom in having the doctor next to the wife, just in case, you know, something happens, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do. I do think this is, this is, um, this is Halmar starting to uh, move the pieces on the chessboard in in the way he he wants them to be. Obviously, he's, he's starting Pete, to have some plans. And you know, Peter Allison, he doesn't have too many great lines, but he's got the one where he you know finally settles down and he's look, kind of looking around the room and he says, "This is a tricky house." Yes, I yes. do. I do like how manners. Which is kind of neat, right? Yeah, I do like that line. Like, this, that is, like, this is a tricky house, not a house I'd want to be alone in. So very, very happy that yeah. you know, Dr. Vetus is, you know, right next door. And, and, um, and the, he has the nice, if someone, if I wanted someone to design a nice, unpretentious, it's insane. Asylum, like, like yeah. You said, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this would be a, and then, but again, oh, then, you know, yeah, manners falls into the, again, and, and, you know, just to, you know, we, we, I, I think David Manners is a splendid actor. I think he, in, in, in his universal films, uh, Dracula, mummy, black cat, um, he was given a lot of thankless parts and he was given a lot of thankless lines as well um, to, to deliver. And, you know, in the midst of all this, I, they just, he always fell into this role as this, this kind of, I, I don't want to say cuckold kind of young man, but you know, he's always there. Totally. The older, that's the word. No, the no, that's, that's are, exactly the word. The older boogeymen are always working on his girl, no matter yes. what, if it's, if it's, if it's okay. you, Zito, Johan or, or this. <laughs> um, and he kind of can't, hold his own against them i'm sorry like like the the, the will of some of these middle-aged guys who are might but, or may not be undead or black magic practitioners or whatever but go, i mean just a, going back to well, the just, going back to the the, the the train scene at the very start of the movie i mean he's yeah. got his new bride asleep beside him and he's got this strange man 
basically, you know, waving his hand through yeah. his wife's hair. And he's just sitting there like, oh, yeah, that's fine. There's a, there's a docile. <laughs> yeah, there's a docile. good enough looking man touch my, my new wife. Yes. Yeah, right. Adele, Adele, chime in here. What Are we on to something or are we just off our rockers? With you saying about like the roles and stuff, so I don't know if you've heard about a film in 1932 called The Death Kiss. It also stars Lugosi and, funny enough, Edward Von Sloan and David Manners. And I'll tell you one thing, if, if you are like a Manners fan, I think you would love The Death Kiss because the lines he has in that film are so savage. It, it, hmm. He is actually just a savage, like he's still like, you know, kind of like a, the typical gentleman-esque type character, like a lot of his films. But because this is like a murder, murder mystery type film, um, it's not like a main Lugosi movie either. Like this was a time where I think Lugosi was trying to like experiment for not being so much in the spotlight for films. Like he purposely wanted uh, a more, uh, a role that, that wasn't so much in a spotlight, but more further back, but he was involved. Right. Yeah. He didn't want to be typecast. Yeah. More, very, yeah. Is a lot more like prominent, but he's just so savage with some of the lines he delivers in that film. I wish I could remember something on top of my head, but I, I do like watching that film with manners in it because it's just so brilliant and, and funny in, in many ways. And I just know that you guys, are, you can find it on YouTube. It's very easy to find um, the yeah. death kiss. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely check it out. We we say it with love, and it's more me than than Jim. I mean, I say it, I it just, I don't know, it's just my thing. I, I always kind of, I, I crack, my, I'm probably the only one I'm cracking up, but I just, I love to tease David Manners because it just always seems like, as Jim said, he's very, you know, the nice English gentleman in these films, very milk toast, and this girl always gets swept away by the villain, and he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, and kind of goes about always, his day. I always feel and, like he's, he's, a, he's a 30 or 32-year-old man constantly stuck playing a 20-year-old, kind of, you know, so <laughs> so it's it's not, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but but because at the end of all these lines, he's, he's yeah, just whatever. like, do you think Joan will be okay to go tomorrow? And he's like, that'll be swell. <laughs> he comes out this line, like, you're like, really? Okay. He's getting, um, ran- he's getting Randy, baby. He's consistently not understanding. But I will say that I think this is his best universal role. I think he gets to be the most proactive. He gets to be the most assertive. Uh, he gets to have a fight scene. It's not much of a fight scene, but it, he does get to have a fight scene at the end with the one servant guy. Um, uh, uh, and yet he still gets saddled with these like goofy things like asking to use the telephone and stuff. Um, uh, he's just constantly you know whatever um anyway we should we'll move on from the david manners we uh, got we uh, got to get into this um, ba- we got to get into this, this basement scene cuz this yes, gets this yes. gets bonkers this gets this gets bonkers right the first time we get into the basement so everyone's you know everyone's put to bed and you know everyone's sleeping tight and helmar helmar has his, his black cat and he's down in his basement stroking away and you've got that lovely theatrical music as well that's the other thing i do like with this film is the music is so in tone with everything like it just has a constant mysterious element going on and then of course he's just looking at his displayed um lifeless bodies uh, with their hair up a bit like brand frankenstein in a way as well which is yeah. kind of cool i wonder if that's a bit of like an easter egg sometimes but however bride of frankenstein was the year after so it couldn't have been. It might have been right. an inspiration from the Black Cat, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? So, um, but yeah. Yeah. so for those who have never seen this film, it's really, it's, it's, you almost have to picture a big vertical fish tank with these, mm-hmm. these women and their bodies and the hairs flowing. And I think that's- 
coffin shapes as well. Yeah, they're kind of coffin shaped. Yeah, they're glass coffins, and mm-hmm. they're they're suspended in in air. We don't know if are they are they fully encased in glass or they you know whatever. But you know their their feet are hanging you know off uh, you know foot off the ground, and their hair flows up. They're lit beautifully from above. They're these they're these very macabre but beautiful uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, sculptures he's decided to ornament his his otherwise so because we're down in the in the 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 actual remains of the fort that exist the foundations exist underground still underneath this modern building that that Perlzig has built um and now we're into like cinder blocks and 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 stone and 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 cobbles and and you know and much more uh a really stark contrast to the to the the world above right we're we're kind of in the hell that that exists below it's like human taxidermy Yes. That's how this exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, he there's a mention of an embalming rack in the in the end of the the film. I mean, so 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 he has, and I, I, my understanding at least is is that these are the women that have been sacrificed before in his in his ceremonies, right? Mm-hmm. Does anyone else get that too, or is I, I I agree with that. I yeah, yeah, especially as he reads the book and yeah. everything else in between, and what goes on in that basement with his cult. So. That wouldn't surprise me. It's probably yeah. become a bit of an obsession for him, like a hobby. Right. Truly. Which well, I mean, he's kind of a serial killer, right? Raven, maybe. Yeah. But we're not yeah. talking about that. So unless, <laughs> I mean, unless I'm going to skip over another scene that I can't think of, let's get right into it. So at this point, it's Palmar by himself. But very shortly thereafter, it's he and him and Vetus, yeah. which is, you know, one of the critical scenes of this film. So Vetus once again confronts Helmar asking for the location of his wife. And this is right. when, um, I also want to call him Boris, but when Helmar yeah. says, you know, come with, <laughs> come with me, I'm, I'm going to bring you to her. And then this yeah. is when Vetus for the first time sees his wife in, like you said, this glass-shaped coffin. And it's just a, yeah. just a superb scene. And like, I, one of my favorite scenes of, of Lugosi, um, just his, the, the, the tears coming down his face, just oh, how right. emotional he gets. Yeah, what it's, I really like as well before they're in the basement, like when they're in the the bed. I think I assume it's Verdigas's bedroom, guest bedroom. It's the fact of how they've managed to do the camera angles for how they're talking to each other. So when the ghost is asking where is his wife, he's actually doing it towards the camera. So it's hmm. like breaking the fourth wall in a way. Yes, um, yeah, which is just perfect for me. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then you got Karloff and then Karloff is like literally directly asking him, uh, telling him but he just doesn't look at him in such a way like he's probably just so fed up with it all and he doesn't even want to look at um Pearlzig in the eye anymore he's just like right. look, I just want to know where the fuck my wife is basically so that's like, great yeah, okay. oh, but that's... yeah that's, I th- think that's interesting how they don't say it to each other's faces Lugosi's looking at camera and then Karloff is at uh, Lugosi yeah, the staging like is wonderful. That. Yeah, and Ulmer does a thing where uh, what what it looks like to me is, um, if I want to get a little technical, con- conventional sh- filming, especially in 1930s, would have been you would have had a wide shot that you have shot with a 25 or 35 millimeter lens, let's say, and you go yeah. into a medium into like a 50 or something like that. And if you do a close up, you're into well, back then it's a close up still would have been like a 50, maybe a 75, 75 millimeter lens, maybe. right? Yeah, and the the way lenses work is the the longer the bigger the number of the lens, the the closer you get, and also the more it um, compresses distance. So so yeah, when you, yeah, yeah. So when you get a close up of of an of an actor, even conventionally now, you, if you use a longer lens, you get this very nice flattening of of the features and and whatnot. Almer is doing a thing that's more avant-garde and, and almost more something you see more in the 60s 50s 60s kind of stuff and, and european stuff <clears throat> he shoots close-ups with a wide lens like i some of these close-ups of of 
Lugosi and 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 and, and Karloff and some of the ones of the the cult members, especially at the end. I think that looks like a that looks like a twelve or or maybe maybe twenty millimeter lens. And what that does is it fish eyes and it kind of bows everything out and makes everything look a little weird and uncanny. You'll see it in like Raising Arizona or something like that. Uh, uh, directors will use it on purpose. Almer is using it in a weird way to make you feel very uncomfortable at how close you are to these people's faces. Um, a, a, a long lens, you can be close to somebody and you still feel like there's a distance between you. The 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 wide lens that Almer is using for some of these things is purposely unnerving and and flies against a lot of the wisdom of how you would shoot a film back then. So he's he's rebelling a little bit. He's doing this artistic stuff that not just to be artistic, but to really has an effect. Um, it, it it snaps you out of the film for a minute and you're like, whoa, what am I watching? Uh, it's really an interesting thing he's doing here. But you guys had mentioned it earlier I and mean, they're, they're stuck in this house, right? So, I mean, what a great way to create this claustrophobic feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, it's amazing. The lighting, lighting is in tune. So the camera work in the film is actually a little shaky, I noticed this time watching it. Uh, some of those dollies and stuff get a little creaky. But um, but then there's some amazing crane shots when they're going up the steps and stuff that, and, and down those spiral ones, at, at, you know, in the middle and end of the film. They're just incredible. It's Definitely. Incredibly- oh, it's a great 14, scene. Of, four, yes. 14 shoot days and, and then a few pickups I, uh, days, I, I think something nuts like that. Like that's a, it's a crazy thing to, to make that fast and, and have this be art, this artistic. Yeah, so I mean, we're still in the basement again. A very important scene where it's now Bella um, looking at his his dead wife, and he's just you know tearing up, and he he asks he asks um, Helma why is she like this, right? Because we've explained he's she's in this you know this fishbowl and you Which know this is, living. It's a very fair question. So why is she like this? And he replies, "I wanted to have here. I wanted to have her beauty always." So again, yeah. professing his love for this man's wife. Yeah, but it's a it's a covetous love, isn't it? It's not really a true love. I mean, I mean, Vetus's love for his wife is is real love. Uh, I think Halmar is, is a collector. I mean, he's like he's like a serial killer more in, than anything else. He's he covets these things. Um, if I want to quote uh, Thomas Harris. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and then, you know, this is it. Lugosi's like, okay, well that, it, I mean, I'm going to kill you, man. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is what he's, he's here for. Um, and he, he steps back and he pulls the gun out and we have another appearance of this, this black cat again, which just, you know, stuns him and knocks him for a yeah, loop. He breaks the wall behind him. Yeah. 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 He, he breaks the, the second wall, the, the, which is, it's a great scene with the big charts uh, that they would have used for the long range guns back in the, back in the, in the war and stuff. Um, so I have a, I have a question for you two about the cat um we've seen Verdegast kill the cat with with the hurling the letter opener with precision deadly accuracy for a doctor um <laughs> earlier and now we've had a few more scenes where we've seen another black cat or a black cat is the is the does Helmar Perlzig possess several black cats or uh is this a reference to this idea of this legend of the deathless black cat with nine lives is this the same cat back from the dead what do you guys think? I don't think he even really because I think it's really weird because you hear the cat make a loud yelp and stuff. You're right. I always thought, oh, maybe he just hurt the cat, but then it is oh. like Manus's character. He does say, oh, oh, well, he, he, she didn't seem so bothered when he killed it. And right. Thinking, and Joan says, you killed that cat. Killed yeah, cat, yeah. Like, because cats do go into like survival mode and everything, so maybe <laughs> he thought he killed it and it didn't, but maybe he does have several cats, like. That's, I don't know. I did always kind of wonder that in a way. I do that's think my, my one thought, yeah. that's, 
I was leaning that way just because this, this film is not supernatural at all. Right. So to me to have a supernatural, I mean, why have the cat be the one supernatural thing? I mean, I guess it's called a black cat and, yes. you know, the whole um, the mythos of a black cat. But no, I mean, to answer your question, Jim, I always just thought he had multiple cats. You think it's multiple cats? Okay. I think it'd be neat if it was the one supernatural thing that exists in this other film. Do you think? Yeah, is that- I, you know, the wonderful thing about, about this is we can all have our own version of it, of the film and, and no one's wrong and no one's right, so. Yeah, because um, you just you don't know. You make yeah. you make your own mind up, which is what I like about so it. So you are you so Jim, are you leaning to the the side of this is like a, a, a mystic cat? I, I like to keep the idea that, that they're both uh yeah, I would like to add that idea honestly because I am a cat lover and at the end when the whole place explodes, I like to think that somehow the cat makes it out. Like there's yeah, this yeah. rubble <laughs> of, of this modernist mansion, you know, whatever, and this you see like these two black paws climb up over the edge of the crater. And this cat <laughs> comes out and you know, shakes it off a little bit and, and wanders off. That's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exist in that in that fantasy world of, of that. That's my own version of, of how this movie. Ends. That's great. If you ever do a remake, that should be absolutely be your yeah. ending. Yeah, and that black cat's like guy. Now I have to find another Satanistic cult to be the mascot. Okay, <laughs> uh, hit the road. Gets his little gets his little stick with his handkerchief over his shoulder and he hits the road. Um. Uh, we we have a scene here that that I I actually love. Um, it's a little insert scene. You don't see anybody in the scene. It's a tracking shot with the cameras moving and it's moving through the the hallways of the catacombs that exist, you know, underneath the the, the mansion. And Halmar Perlzig has this voiceover and he's talking about how you know these these are childish games. You're coming looking for revenge. You and I will play a real game, a game of life and death. We we can't play it while these people are here and. There's a lot of there's a lot of exposition, but what it what it really does is set up because there's a little bit of a confusing thing that goes on here from now on where Vertigast pauses in his attempt to to get revenge. He back he tells his servant that that his servant will, will not not to do anything right now, that the standby, that you know, their time. Um and he he sort of acquiesces to Pearlzig for a little while. I my feeling is that you know th- this film was shot very quickly, and there were reshoots, there were pickups. I know that 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 they say were were more about maybe filming more uh, scenes that that would pass the censors in other countries. But I also feel like this is a bit of a this is a post production construct. This this tracking shot and and um, Karloff's voiceover that I think is an attempt to s- sort of explain the next you know few scenes of the film and why Lugosi's character is it does become kind of subservient to Karloff and, and pauses in his revenge. I think there's just a little bit of a logical failing maybe in, in either the script or the production or something. And this was the solution that they came up with it. And I think it's a great solution, by the way. I, I think it it works perfectly. It it, it sets up this idea that Lugosi's character becomes much more interesting as a guy who he's out for revenge, but he's going to let the fire burn cold a little bit. And he's, he's biding his time and he's waiting for his moment. He knows it's not the good moment right now because uh, we, Carl, we, we missed the thing where, where, where Halmar has mentioned that the entire structure is still undermined with dynamite um, and explosives. There, there is this yes. latent threat that, you know, we, we call it the ticking clock uh, in, in screenwriting a lot that the whole place could come down. And, and Lugosi even t- says this later on to, to the, to the, to Joan. Um, uh, so he's going to, he's going to wait and he's going to play, play along with, Perlzig's plan it's still challenging him but but we're gonna have this kind of um we're gonna have this kind of pause in the action until we get to the finale and the dark ritual and I'm with you finale. Jim I never I understood I never understood that either really why he became so passive and yeah. even why I mean he, at one point you're right he turns to his manservant and says you're now serving 
Helmar until I tell you differently. Yeah, and yeah, again, yeah. so if I'm Helmar, who is an, an extremely shrewd, intelligent man, doesn't he find that a little curious? Why is Vetus, you know, he came in with guns blaring or guns yes. blasting, yeah. you know, I'm going to kill you. At one point, this basement scene we we're just talking about pulls out a gun before he sees the black cat and falls through yeah. a window. He's, he's ready to kill. Yeah. Um, to, he's ready to kill him. Right, right, right. So now he's very, you know, kind of taken aback almost, well, you know. At some point, we, we, I guess we realize we have we have 30 more minutes of the film to get through. He can't kill him right yet. Now yet. <laughs> we got <we've> to <laughs> we we fill some time. I mean, that's sort of the, the, the screenwriter challenge. Uh, yeah, so I just think that's really neat um, uh, that, that I think they found a creative way to set that in. And, you know, if, if the film doesn't make 100% logical sense, that's the least thing that I care about really i've seen many films that make total logical sense and i've seen them once and they were great and that's it i've watched this movie 25 30 times and and i enjoy the 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 quirkier oddness of the story itself every bit of it what sounds like kyle lemley senior really shit on this film like he was not going to release it until they went back and did a lot of reshoots so i know for instance that scene with kyle off um that first scene of him alone going through the basement looking at um, the wife in the the glass. Um, they just they needed a little bit more macabre, you know, something a little bit more mystic. Um, and that was definitely one shot. And there was, there was a number of shots. And yeah. you're probably right, Jim. That scene of you know was it the, the voice overlay of Kaloff makes total sense. That, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, you know the movie. You know a movie like this can fall into the trap of just being people in rooms talking to each other and to sell the film, or you know, uh, of course, to attract an audience. Stuff you do need these these um, kind of good graphic images and and the the you couldn't do better than the, the women hanging you know suspended in those those plexiglass cl- coffins are just astonishing uh i i i would i think a lot of people have been inspired by that and you've seen that kind of image in a lot of other uh, films and stuff it's so the way they're led and everything is really oh, it's so haunting uh, really intense yeah i mean if, if there's one graphic image from the film almost it's it's that so we're back upstairs now uh uh, uh pearl zig has led uh, Lugosi back, led uh, Verdigas back up there. And yeah, and he's told his bodyguard that you're from now on, you, you serve him until I say so. Uh, so the, the game has begun, let's say. And and the real game is going to start in a little bit because we're going to do a, a chess thing. So I guess the next that we have is, is Joan wakes up. Yes, I think so. And she's like, um, like how she tries to gently like cover herself as well. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She doesn't even realize she's got um, um, like the dressing on her. Right, either. right. She's like, oh, we're, she's like, oh, we're, we're in a crash and I fell and, and yeah, like sort of yeah. thing. And it's just weirdly weird because you call, she have that moment where Pearlzig enters the room again and it's mm-hmm. always looking at her. And that oh, yeah, just freaks her out in a way, thinking, "Oh, my bit undressed," sort of thing. And yeah, yeah, because she doesn't do it for for Berdigas because he's checking on her her you know mm-hmm. wound. But the minute Prosy comes in, she she senses it and 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 you know stares at him and stuff like that. And he's he is making he's being a very creepy dude. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes, like a meal. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But then, his, <laughs> but then his his servant comes in the room. So at one point, there's like four men just sit, like staring at this woman in her bathrobe in her nightgown. Yeah, I know. So so we have uh we have a scene where the so the uh, the gendarmes show up. Right? Is this before this or after? So at some point, we haven't really gotten into it though. The 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 two uh, gendarmes show up uh, to to interview them about the accident. Uh, yes, there's obviously there's a there's a dead guy, and we have a fun bit. Yeah. Um, this is Adele. You know, Scott always talk about it. Like, like Universal, as early as in the '30s, was trying to figure out how to work little comedy bits into their horror films. Way before 
1948 and Abbott and Costello and Frankenstein. We we credit that as like the, the 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 magic moment where like someone unlocked this cipher of like comedy and horror together. This is brilliant. But you know the 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 kind of Keystone Cop type guys in Dracula's Daughter and then these guys. There's always like there's always the tall one and the short one, and it it all comes out of like you know that vaudeville. See this uh, a lot uh, in this. silent film as well. There's always like yeah. a tall and a short one and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, Truly, the, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, the visual, yeah. Um, uh, from Lauren Hardy on and stuff like that, but but I do like I'd like these two gendarmes and one guy's like like you know you know Gernbush and the guy's like Pitstein or something. Like yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, Gernbush, the, the grande. Yeah, exactly. The, the scenery, the landscape. It goes on and on, and then the little guy turns to me, he's like, "I think you're taking it too far." Like he almost <laughs> yeah, drops his yeah, accent. Yeah. It's so funny. It's I don't know who these act. I don't know if they work together normally or whatever like that. I I, I should look I them up. I think some more. they were credited, were they? I think they are right at the end, oh, and they they're are? just credited okay. as like lieutenant and sergeant. Yeah, because before that happens, like you're saying in the room. I don't know what it is. It, it tends to make my other half laugh as well. Is when um, when she's asking where Peter is, Karloff's right. like, "Oh, I believe he's breakfasting." Right. Like, breakfasting. <laughs> she barely what? knows where she is. Yeah. <laughs> That's a word. I didn't even know that was a word. And I don't know what yeah, it is. Okay. We always have a slight giggle about that. It's like breakfasting. Uh, Adi says, "Yeah, yeah. P- Peter. You know, Mr. Allison. You yeah. Know. Oh, he's breakfasting. Yeah, I believe he's yes. breakfasting. You're like." You mean he's Joan, having breakfast? Yes, because Joan, Joan's you know catching up here, and you know, she she missed the whole. She doesn't remember anything almost from the night yeah. before between the injury and then the the, the drugs. So you know, you know, there's a, there's a there's a bit I I miss when in that scene where I was just talking about where they're the the, the insert scene where they that's the dolly track and and um and and Karloff is talking and you know he talks about how. Are we? Are we any? Are you and I any less dead than the people whose bodies were torn asunder here during the war? And he says, like, aren't we both the living dead? And it's a line that, while I, well, I think there are funnier, cleverer lines in the film, it's maybe the most important line in the film because I, I, while while this isn't a monster movie, I think you can see it through a prism where you can see that both Verdigast and Perlzig are monsters in their own way. Like Perlzig is definitely yes. a monster. Well, Perlzig is missing. I was going to see if someone would say that. Yeah. So one thing, if you weren't going to, I definitely <laughs> See, there we go. So, we, so both <laughs> of us I, were thinking it, we might be right. Because like when, when you said like at the beginning um, of this podcast, you're saying like, oh, this isn't like a classic monster film and stuff like that, that we're used to like with makeup and everything. Yeah. They are essentially monsters themselves. They are. Which can make us more... Because we always relate with classic horror monsters like Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, uh, Imhotep. And, Mm. you know, we always try to relate to them in some way to make them more human, which is basically what my artwork is about. It's like they're not exactly essentially monsters, even though they look monstrous and have monstrous ways. They are technically have human value uh, which gives them some dignity. Whereas when it comes to Pulsig, he's probably the most human form monster as such, even more so than yeah. Dracula, because Dracula is still essentially a monster, but right. he can shapeshift. He can go to a bat, a, a wolf and everything. Whereas Pulsig is an actual human being, but he's a monster at the same time. Yeah, he's 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 he's, he's definitely a boogeyman. He's, he's lacking <laughs> something very yeah. vital that a human person has. That, that that makes him into a, a human monster and Verdigast, i mean you you get the the feeling that he was a good man but the the things that have been done to him have changed him and have and have made him a little less than human too i mean this is this is one of my absolute favorite top three or four lugosi roles ever i mean this dracula igor you know um 
But I think this might be Lugosi's best chance to really show what he was capable of if given, you know, a good good script, good good character, good dialogue. You know, Verdegast is, I mean, I, he's nominally a hero in this film because he's a little less sinister than than Karloff. But Verdegast is not necessarily a good man anymore. He has been turned into something else. And he, I mean, this is a man who is capable of flaying the skin from a person's body while they're still yeah. alive. Yeah, he's well, flaying it on the skin of someone who technically deserves it in a way, like because he wouldn't do that to anybody else. Yes, of, right, right, right. He's still got a moral code, but it's 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 pretty far beyond, say, you know, Peter Allison wouldn't do that. I mean, he Peter yeah. Allison will shoot somebody he thinks is doing wrong. He's not going to like literally like 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 mutilate a living human being. Um, well, he says yeah, the walking, his character's been corrupted. He says the yeah, the Walking Dead. I mean, the humanity yeah. is dead. I mean, they're they're living, breathing yeah. souls, but the humanity is dead. I would have loved to have seen you know, a backstory with with Doc. I'm sorry, with um, Helmar. Like, when did he start incorporating this devil worship into yeah. his life? So to me, yeah, and why as well? And why? So to me, I, and again, I'm just going to read into it. Or, you know, give you my thoughts. Was I think he just probably had so much guilt post war, you know, over what he's done to his interesting you know, his troops and whatnot, you know, could he, maybe he just couldn't live himself or, or couldn't live with himself. Mm -hmm. He almost, you know, just forsake God and, you know, he found devil worship. It just, it's kind of odd. Like they never really get into it, but I think a, a backstory on him would be fascinating. And, and, and finally, just to round that out, uh, you know, you know, Verdigast is, he understands that they're all in danger. And he, he has a little speech with, with Joan a little later before the, the ritual happens. Um, but he is willing to put the two young people's, safety at risk in order to accomplish his goal too so he's you know while he he does care about them and he he his goal is to is to is to rescue them uh obviously he again this long game he's playing does require a little bit of collateral risk and and he's he's willing to to, to bet on that um so anyway that, that i just wanted to make sure i got that in there because it's that sort of to me to me the whole film is about the false exterior both you know, these two characters have to, that they present to the world and and what's really happening inside with both of them uh the darkness that's inside of both of these characters finally slowly being exposed as the film goes on and really it's like even going back to um you know the two uh guards what i what i love most about that scene is that uh the ghost he actually speaks hungarian in it yes movie, he does great Yep. I had a um, note about that. Like, like he actually gets to speak it. some Hungarian in this movie. It's amazing. I really wish there were subtitles so I actually know what he's really saying. You know, when they go, oh, ching, ching, you know, like as a goodbye sort of thing. And yeah, because that would that's be interesting. One thing, like, I really like because apparently some people have said, because um, I do have a couple of friends on my Facebook who have like Hungarian heritage or even family. And they've said the language in I mean, the dialect of Hungarian he's speaking in that movie is apparently close to royalty or something, very upper class. Interesting. Even though he wasn't from essentially an upper class background because his dad was a banker. And um, But no, I always thought it was quite cool because not only that, I have actually tried to look into Hungarian as well. I find it quite a very fascinating language. Mm -hmm. Apparently, according to some people or some websites I've looked at, it's probably one of the hardest languages to learn if you're an English person. Interesting. Because you've got, um, so you have this standard Hungarian wording, but apparently they can make things up on the spot and it can also sound like the same thing. So wow. when they... Yeah, like, and, like they can come up with things. So maybe what he said in the Black Cat could have maybe been untranslatable, but it, um, but Hungarians can understand it in some way. It's like apparently there's like so many different ways you can just say, oh, hello, how are you today? And apparently there could be like three variations of it. And it's like, why would you do that? 
that's, that's so confusing. Sounds massively and, confusing, yeah. And that's the thing when it comes to reading the Becoming Dracula book, because there is a lot of Hungarian in there. Uh, pleased to say, I know what Nemzeti Shinsaz is, which is national theatre. Oh, oh, right. I read course. it so many bloody times. I know what <laughs> yeah. it means now. <laughs> which is which is the theatre company Lugosi was with, right? Uh, yeah, so National Theatre, um, a lot of them um, in Szeged and uh, Deprekan um, is where he started a lot of his mm. stage work. Um, uh, even like The Passion of the Christ is 1912, which is in the right. official year, by the way. I want to make this so clarified because many years... We've heard it's 1916 or 1909. Some said 1913, which is correct because they um, the play went until February 1913, but okay. it officially came out in 1912, where he's like Jesus Christ. But um, yeah, you have a but yeah, the the Shinchas is um, theatre, and then the Mzeti is a uh, national. Uh, that's pretty much what I can remember from the top of my head, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a morality tale now. They are literally going to play chess for the freedom of Allison so or, or of uh, Joan yeah so they basically you know Bella or um you know Vetus has you know come out and said you are not going to let her leave you want her for and he you know has the idea that he's going to become a, a sacrificial the original sacrificial right. um you know in the in the ceremony oh, and he, yeah. yeah yeah and Halimar says yep yeah, that's probably what's going to happen so they agree to play chess I think Vetus would like to do you know go hand-to-hand combat and Halimar opts for this chess game. The you know, do you dare play me in chess? Great line. Yeah. Um, you know, p- play me in chess for her, and they and they agree. So hence begins this great. Oh, I, I and I love it. And I don't know if you guys remember. There was another. There's another quick. Not in this movie, but there it's Lugosi and Karloff sitting across from each other on a chessboard, and Lugosi says, oh, "Are you ready, Frankenstein?" And Carlos says, I'm ready, Dracula. And then they start playing chess. Do you guys remember that at all? Yeah, is that- yeah, yeah. there's an advert for, I think it is an advert for, um, I think it was for the Raven, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe. Um, yeah, yeah I do love that. It, promo they bits they would choose. Well. Yeah. And then the ghost who, of course, grabs his cigar and starts smoking towards right. the end, which is just typical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always thought it was just because this is, I mean, I don't think they, I mean, they never played chess in the Raven. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't remember a chessboard in the Raven. I always thought it might have been from this this movie, but just a super, super promo shot. Of, Probably something they had on, on set. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd say it's a it's a good little promo bit. I love those little promo bits of them. I like the one of them both supposedly asleep on the couch, like leaning into each other. You know, oh, that's great! Yeah, stuff like that. That's the Raven too. You know, the oh. funny thing again, back to Karloff not wearing the boots and the, the the monster makeup. In their scenes together, you realize that Lugosi is an inch or two taller than Karloff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's six foot one. Yeah, yeah, and Karloff was five eleven and stuff like that. So, so there's a he's got this little bit of like intimidating height, even though even though Karloff has gets an extra inch with his hair in this movie, you know, uh, <laughs> with the lock there with that wig. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 and really I, funny. So yeah, they sit and down I gotta to say, play. I've, and I've always had a bit of a pet peeve, and Adele, I know you do too, because we've talked online that this Ooh. this 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 misinterpretation or whatever, just ignorance from people that you know, Karloff and, and Lugosi couldn't stand each other, didn't like working together. And I mean, just all these stories you hear, and that's like I know I've I've mentioned a few times. I know you have, have two Dell and, and, and Jim that these guys had such a good professional working relationship, and especially this movie. Everything I've read that Karloff was so excited to get on this set with Lugosi. You know, yeah. again, not, I, I'm not the historian. I'm not you know the but. 
I'm telling you guys, they had a fantastic relationship, and especially later on when the ghosty hit some hard at times, Koloff was one of his biggest fans oh, I think and so. found him work. So we've got this chess match going on, and meanwhile, you see Mr. David Manners, Peter Allison, getting proactive. He knows something yeah. is up. Um, is trying to get his wife, um, Joan Allison, out of this this house. So it's kind of it's kind of a fun scene where they're busy playing chess, and you know, probably for the first time in the film, you know, Helma is almost um, almost rude to um, Peter, saying, you know, do you play chess, or you know, if you don't understand chess, you need to just get away from us because this is a yeah, you know, boy, yeah. chess. And meanwhile, he's like, is there a car I can get? You know, take to the town. You know, the and of course the great line, you know, even the phones are dead. Yeah, so yeah. He, tries, he tries the car, yeah. then he tries the phone, then he tries, the, and it, there's a good moment where Halmar says to to his major domo guy, like the the the, the kind of greasy haired dude, and he's like, he's like, oh, oh, you know, see if the car will work, and and you see the look <laughs> on the guy's face, and you know that the, the way that Halmar has said it, the guy knows to say that the car doesn't work and stuff. Yeah, and this, this is all this has all been arranged. Yeah. Oh, even the phone is dead. Yeah. I do love it. Even the phone is dead. Even right. the phone is dead. <laughs> I love I'll it. It's like slow hard. motion. And then of course the ghost is just looking at him as if to say, Yeah, well, I know what you're up to. Yeah, Legosi yeah, like, knows. Yeah, knows what's up. Um so, so yeah, so so um, you know, they're kind of stymied uh uh in in their way in their plan to escape. Uh Halmar and, and Vetus finish their game and 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 uh, Halmar has, has beat Vetus. Um there's a there's a line here that that where he says you lose Vetus and it's it's dubbed by Edgar J. Ulmer, the J. Ulmer, the, the director. And Ulmer Ulmer dubbed a few lines in this film. He dubbed a line for Lugosi. And I don't know why they couldn't just go back and get these guys who are under contract to, you know, to to do their their pickups. But anyway. Um, and I'll oh, say that while yeah. Edgar G. Omer was is a brilliant director, uh, uh, he's possibly not the best mimic in the world because some of those dub lines he did, you're like, even as a kid when I saw this movie, I was like, that's weird. Like, you <laughs> lose me to, he's trying to imitate Karloff. And, and um, there's an important scene we skipped over uh, after Lugosi parts with with Karloff underground. Karl, uh, uh, Halmar, I should say, goes back to to his room and goes back to his bed with with Karen with his wife um and he's going to yes. lay back and, and do some do some light reading uh, of the rights of Lucifer um <laughs> as you do yes you do as that. one does and and he does this is where he does say like I, I won't let anything you're very dear to me I won't let anyone take you away not even your father and this is where we we learn that obviously uh you know Verdigast's daughter is still alive and and I just wanted that obviously an important plot point I just want to make sure yeah so but so now we're back to the next day with with the chess scene yeah for, for... amazing though the way she's just laying there with her golden hair oh yeah perfectly uh flattened yeah. out across the pillow like I'm not being funny I have a lot of long hair and my hair does not do that. <laughs> Yes. I'm lying in bed. I do not look as glamorous as that. That's for L- sure. Lucille Lund. So amazing. It seems like he's got her in some sort of trance or something like that. And right. And uh, Adele, I would argue that Lucille Lund probably had some help with her hair laying in that bed to make yeah. sure it it laid, it laid well. <laughs> and, and I'm I'm pretty sure that might or might not have been a, a wig for her as well. Um, I don't know much about her. She was in. She's in like 30 films. She did a a few things all the way up into the 30s. And I don't know if she just married or changed to careers or settled down or, or what and stuff like that but she's she's really stunning in this movie with that, that again like you said uh, adele that long quaff of hair and stuff like that she's 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 wonderful 
Yep, she's she like is. a princess in a way. Yeah, couldn't be more different from Joan with her kind of short bob hair. You know, hmm. uh, very much a woman of her era. Oh, the Allisons you know, are trying to get the Allisons yeah. are trying to get away, right? They come yeah. down the stairs. Yeah, they come down the find, stairs. They can't leave find the suitcases. Revolt. We'll send for them. Whatever. Let's. Um, <laughs> you know, and I do like you know, here. you know, Peter is has decided, and, and David Manners is the is you know, performing the thing. Is like, look, and I think maybe we've all been in a situation where you know we're at a party or we're somewhere, and like we're like, you know what? This is this is getting weird here, and it's time it's time to boogie, and and maybe it's time to stop being polite and maybe be a little rude and 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 extricate ourselves from the situation. And that's what you know Peter's decided to do, even though like someone obviously has stolen his automatic, which is one of my favorite lines. Also, in the film. it's like someone's taking my automatic. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's a mystery writer, but he's on his honeymoon. He's traveling like overseas. Not sure why he's carrying but you know maybe he's a safe he's safe he believes in safety i don't know um in any case someone's taking yeah, especially it especially for facts you're in eastern europe as well it seems like all it takes is someone checking your bags and you're kind of in trouble there but anyway yeah <laughs> veritas henchman guy is called than damnall thandall odd job uh, and he's, he's played by harry gording <laughs> oh um, job yeah yeah this is it's odd, job. odd job um yeah, yeah remember <laughs> yeah and so so he's now because he is somehow by proxy working for uh halmar they run into him in the door and uh odd job manages to take down peter allison with one fist uh and pick up and, and carry uh joan back upstairs so they're obviously not going anywhere yeah i mean just a great feat of strength too i mean he picks david manners up I don't know if yeah. anyone's ever picked up anybody who's sleeping or unconscious, but I mean, literally picks up. I mean, Manners is a big guy, right flat off the floor, yeah. flings him up over his shoulder and goes and walks off. So, and and, um, and Car- Carliff would be the first one to tell you that's a good way to hurt your back. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I just did that in a film. I acted in a friend's film. Just it's the first time I've been in front of camera in a while, and I had to carry a woman. And you know, I'm not I'm not nearly as big a guy as 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 the guy playing this role and stuff like that. But like, yeah, the, the just the dead weight of a hundred and some pound person in your arms is it's hard to balance and it's hard to, you know, walk and 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 navigate and, and not look like you are using all your strength. Um uh so it is the dark of the moon. Uh <laughs> and, and that is that is the uh the ritual thing we see did in in the rites of Lucifer that that the people will gather and they're going to have a have a dark ceremony worshiping the devil and they're going to sacrifice him. Um, I've read some stuff online that this is sort of the first movie in which the villains are devil worshippers. Yeah, I'm not sure to do with Satanism or something. Uh, yeah. Well, first like, talking like anyway. Modern Satanism as a as a as this cult kind kind of thing as opposed to uh, someone in league with the devil, I guess, or something like like a Faustian thing or something. Um. And and if that's true, then yeah, I wouldn't be surprised and stuff. It definitely set the aesthetic for what devil worshiping looks like. It, the black robes and every you know. Um, again, Anton LaVey was active, and and there were references that that the filmmakers could could you know use to 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 mimic that. But then I think on top of that, you know, they they just brought a certain style and panache to it because these are really well dressed devil worshippers. These people they 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 have their uniforms, they have their little cloaks with the hoods and the you know, the, the little it's, bat wing capes and stuff. It's it's, or, it's organized, right? I mean, these are <laughs> yes, yeah, versus just you know a, a quote unquote nut job in their house. Like this is a you know educated, well to do, and organized group. Really, oh, yeah, this is this, this is like the intelligentsia. This the, you right. can tell that these are all like like the weird and they find some great faces too i mean there's there's a person of short stature in there there's some interesting looking ladies there's like there's some guys with crazy odd features and stuff and they they do feature them during the uh this ceremony so 
uh, yeah, you have you have a great bit where Karloff, right before the ceremony, he's outside and I guess he's on his patio or something, and he's he's standing there and the wind's blowing and the the, tr- the there's the, you know, um, I'm pretty sure he's just standing on the Universal lot and what you're looking at the mountain behind him is the opposite side of where the Hollywood sign is. So he's he's basically he's in Burbank, right, standing there, and then they've got a few little pine trees behind him that they I'm sure are just set up on rollers and they've got a fan blowing and it's blowing everything. And yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but they picked a good moment where the clouds behind him are moving very fast and 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 let's see if he's staying there he's facing he's facing east he's facing towards like like uh, uh Pasadena because the the clouds are coming from the ocean behind him and going like right to left. So anyway, but I just I love I get, I'm just pointing that out just because I like to keep reminding everybody that these films were made in 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 southern california in a place that is the least having been having lived here for 15 years or whatever the least gothic least spooky uh it's sunny there's palm trees and stuff you know the the universal created this whole gothic world uh scape this this pocket universe that i talk about in the midst of a of a of a, of a area that it couldn't be less as opposed to say hammer doing their stuff in england where they have the actual castles they could film in and stuff like that universal had to like fake everything yeah, to, to match this yeah. you know they, they had to shoot up in the hollywood hills and somehow make it look like egypt they had to do all these things um with with very little location shooting and uh and and they found very effective ways to do this in this shot with with uh with uh uh halmar just you know, having a moment before the ceremony starts as the sun goes down is just a great example of it. So without beating it, let's get right into the ceremony. So now we're seeing an actual devil, (laughs) a terror worshiping ceremony. So at this point, both Allison's have been taken away to their respective rooms. So um, Peter Allison has been locked away in kind of a dungeon, cool dungeon area in the basement. Um, Joan is brought into a room with a locked door and you can see the key is brought back and put on Halmar's desk, which skipping ahead just a bit, Vetus, who's now kind of changing his tune a little bit now he's becoming more of the proactive antagonist or um the protagonist yeah steals the key to release joan from you know from her prison meanwhile this you know kind of this ceremony is happening that beatus that is you know comes in and is kind of not taking part of it, but he's certainly um privy observing well well joan joe while joan was up in the room karen comes in while she while joan's locked in the room, karen comes in from vetus's room which you know i guess and and it's like, oh, how are you? I'm, I'm Mrs. Perlzig. And she's like, you're Karen. And she's like, yeah, you know, she's like, your dad's here. And and so Karen obviously believes that her dad, Vetus Verdigast, Ver, Ver, Ver is, is has dead. That's what she's and been she's told. And she's like, oh, no, you, you are mistaken. Yeah. Like, you know. No, your dad's here for you. And there's almost a moment where you see it kind of getting through whatever dope up, whatever condition Karen is is kept in. And then, of course... Perlzig shows up and and escorts her into the room and you hear a scream and we see you know the results of that that later and I then guess... the black cat as well yeah I always wonder what actually does happen because you see kind of come in with the black cat and it's as yeah. if she's almost as terrified of the black cat as the same oh. for Vetus to me interesting and, and, and then you just hear her go oh no please don't I'm thinking is he doing something with the cat or something is the cat part of it I don't know like that, that's, that's what it's just really strange how it's like yeah that's what i view it as anyway it seems like that's she's just as scared as the actual cat as well mm. because he comes in with one and then it runs into the room or does it just kind of actually carry the cat into the room i don't know if he carries it with him i think he might 
but she's you know she's unmarked when when Vitas finds her later on on the slab. Yeah, so that's the other thing. If, if that's what what did, is, he do? did he do? I just always assume he, he chokes her to death or something. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, but then so so yeah, and then and then Vitas shows up. Uh, Vitas does he steals the key. Uh, he comes in the room and he has this bit with with her with with Joan where he's like, look, it's a great bit where he's like, look, the whole place is undermined with dynamite, so we got to be careful here. Um, they're gonna you know sacrifice you to the devil. I'm going to try and make that not happen, but you know, I'm still doing my own kind of deals and stuff. And this is where Joan tells him like, your, your daughter's here. She's alive. And, and, and it, there's a moment where he sits up and it, you see, it blows his mind. He, his whole worldview is, is, is he just, it's almost like he just accepted the fact that she's dead. And now he's told that she's alive again, which has got to be a real mind. Oh yeah. Like before that, his daughter is killed because um, Vetus enters the room, doesn't he, with the key? Yeah. And he's talking to her about, well, have you ever heard of Satanism and the worship of the devil? And and it, I, I just love it when she cries into his arms and he's like, oh, be brave, dear child. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is your only chance. Um you know, be brave yeah. and stuff. Because then the yeah. music stops as well. It's definitely her only chance because because Peter's not coming to the rescue because that guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> It's David Brown. Which we'll get into. Um, uh, and now, now Scott, I think we are finally back well, caught up to, to the ritual itself. So, so all, everyone starts assembling and, you know, standing in, and we have these great shots where they put on their robes, the ladies put on their robes, the guys, put, it's like a square dance, except, you know, more. It is very in tune, isn't it? Yes. But it's, yeah, it's some great chant. I mean, great chanting by Kaloff. I can't swear, you know, the language he's he's speaking about. Man, that is just some beautiful stuff. And IMDb has it. He's speaking Latin, and IMDb actually has the translation. Oh, and cool. it's just it's just total random Latin silliness. It's just is all it? these phrase. Yeah, it's all the phrases in Latin that I I will. If you give me just one second, I will read it for. It everybody. sounds fancy. It sounds absolutely. Oh, some, someone so I don't know who did this. Someone did a lot of work. Um, yeah, I'll say for, for, for this. So so whoever did it, I will I we will give them an anonymous credit. Um, English translation of his stuff is: With a grain of salt, a brave man may fall, but he cannot yield. To err his human, the wolf may change his skin, but not his nature. Truth is mighty and will prevail. External actions show internal secrets. Remember when he's he's about to go into like a soap commercial here. (laughs) uh, Buy fruit, not buy leaves. Judge a tree. Every madman thinks everybody mad. Who repents? You get the feeling there was someone just had a book of Latin phrases and just copied out a bunch of Latin phrases. Yeah. It it's really it's right on the it's the the second uh, thing on under trivia for on the imdb page for black cat 1934 so you can all check it out um you had me for funny. a, had me for a little reciting just a bunch of nonsense you had me in mean, those first few lines like she's kind of auto, autobiographical to like maybe what yeah, yeah. i was thinking they started out pretty good yeah, yeah like really oh, a grain of salt and um oh um, a wolf skin and something yeah. else I'm like well that does kind of make some sense yeah. Yeah, okay. then it kind of turns into an ovaltine commercial yeah <laughs> <laughs> It almost sh- sounds a bit Shakespearean at the beginning as well, weirdly. Yeah, yeah. But to, to Karloff's credit, I don't know if Karloff actually spoke Latin or if he was just rem- memorizing the lines phonetically, but uh, he sells it. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, it's very convincing. He's up there. I love that, um, let, uh, Adele, let's talk about just the design of this this toppled cross that he uses with the two yes. strokes through it. It's it's so well designed. I, I don't, well, he wears a, an upside down pentagram on his chest in, in this very elaborate you know brooch thing he wears um it's it's like there is this there's an art deco design quality to these satanists you know kind of thing they're doing here which is really interesting yes because there's you've got the shiny element yes. which is quintessential deco and then you've got four um pillars 
which right. is often related to things like stonemasonry and the Illuminati anyway, uh, which is what I get from a lot of that scene. But yeah, you've got that perfect cross, which then, of course, um, she ends up collapsing on, mm-hmm. and then Vetus carries her off there. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think there's a black and white checkerboard flooring. Yeah, I, I think there is something like that. I think yeah. There is. Yeah. But you know, you definitely have these obelisks on the side, which are kind of very phallic, and you know, that's whole thing it. Obelisk. Yeah, yeah yes, obelisks. Yeah, which is that—that yeah. that doesn't seem to match with the the other aesthetics that are going on. But I do, especially just—I mean, someone just nailed together these pieces of wood into this kind of crossing. But I do love that Joan, as she sacrificed, kind of falls on the cross. So there's definitely a a sacrificial kind of Christ issue going on with her, and she's all in white, and she's barefoot, and she's holding onto the cross for for support and stuff. Um, you know it. It, it manages to play with the iconography of Christianity and Satanism and everything like that without, without um, it just does its own thing. Yeah. It's not and, crass. And so, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't remind you of anything else too. Like the, the again, these guys have their own brand of, of, of devil worship that you don't see in like a Manson film or anything else yeah. like that. Um, it's like the pocket, it's designed. It's, and just it's, like it's, anything else in the movie, it's designed. It's, it's, it's the pocket. Very well. It's like the pocket universe idea of Satanism. It's like totally yeah, different. No, exactly. Than We'll just, and I guess because that's a little more palatable um, uh, and, and got, obviously got past many of the censors. Uh, although I, I do think, Scott, you and I have talked like this film and Murders in the Rue Morgue. And there's a few films right around this time where like, I, there, there's a reason the, the Breen agency, you know, came into play and stuff. I, surely thereafter, I, right. I, you know, yeah. And, and, and this was a, a conscious decision on studio's part. You know, they brought in their own censor rather than have the government uh, do it, do it to them. And, you know, I mean, I'm a filmmaker myself, so I want to support the, the vision of any kind of any filmmaker, but at the same time, you have to understand that a, a studio or a producer of any kind is investing X amount of money in a project. And if that project ends up not being sellable across the world, you know, those are missed, that's missed money on your return that you, that you've put out. So if Universal puts out this film and like 18 other countries or whatever it was, wouldn't, wouldn't release it. They not even, it's not even, they want to edit it. It just wasn't even released in a bunch of different countries. Um, That's a lot of lost revenue, even for a small budget film. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so you get the feeling like these, these, these artists were really pushing the envelope and the studio heads were just starting to go like, okay, maybe, we would prefer everyone pulled it back a little bit for safety's sake so that we can uh, we can continue making movies and stuff. And there's there's no right or wrong to that. It's just that's exactly that's how it went down. No, I mean, ultimately, at the, you know, towards the end of the movie here, when Vetus has Helmar, you know, and against in, in the basement against the pillar and he's, you know, threatening to, you know, cut, you know, cut the chunks of his skin off like an animal. And mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah, have you seen an animal? Um like oh is it have you ever seen an animal skinned yeah right um, yeah. that's what i'm going to do to you now spare from your body bit by bit yes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah very grab i mean they don't obviously they can't show it but it's yeah. you know legosi you know goes behind him and it just tears violently tears off his his shirt you know and that oh, yeah. yeah off his bare chested and you know with his arms off, he's cutting like- into his face He's what? like, oh, how does it feel to be on your own embalming? Hang, how does it feel to hang on your own embalming? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Great. One of, and then he, that's and then one of my greatest. And then pans out, and you can just see him, like, hacking away yeah. at his face. Yeah, he's kind of, he's a kind of carving. He's it's very delicate. Again, it's the Lugosi hands. Right? So it's like, do, 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 do. He's taking off little pieces. Um, uh, so, 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 yeah, um, there's a bit of a weird, uh, so, so one of the, the, 
part, female participants of the black magic right faints or she screams and faints in the middle of it and it distracts Karloff for a moment he goes down to check and see what's going on it kind of kind of spoils the rhythm of the ceremony um and and in that interim uh Lugosi and and his servant managed to go in and like and, and get Joan and, and pick her up and carry her off Peter so Peter Allison is stuck in this gun turret thing that that is locked up and he manages to find the switch to open the door and he finds he kind of gets the door open and the major domo character, the 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 squiggy looking guy, um <laughs> he comes after him, right? Scott. Uh, totally squiggy. So people from our generation will get it. Um uh, comes after him and 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 David Manners has a fight scene with this guy that's that's sped up about 300 percent uh, normal speed to make it seem dramatic. And um <laughs> It's like he finally has a fight King, scene and he manages to get beat up. It's like King Kong, something out of King Kong and Godzilla. Just like, yeah, for yeah. some reason, like this rolling around on the floor, but yeah, sped up super quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And then before you know it, I was so proud of David Manners. I'm like, yes, he's like, he's holding his own. He's going to get his girl. And then like fast forward 10 seconds, he's unconscious on the ground. He gets beat up. Again. Like, Joan, <laughs> Jenner, Joan, Joan. David, um, David. It's a thankless. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like David Manners actually lost that fight. I mean, that was just the, the story. Um, Peter does finally manage to escape. Um, Lugosi, uh, or I should say, Verdigas has has now, you know now now they're escaping with with Joan, and they run into Squiggy again. They run into the Major Domo, um, and uh, uh, and Verdigas's henchman now confronts the guy and and gets shot a whole bunch of times. Yeah, odd job takes a few bullets and yeah. <laughs> doesn't go down. I mean, he doesn't go down. He chokes out Squiggy. Yeah, man. And then, you know, kind of falls back. And Adele, if you don't know who Squiggy is, Google, Google Squiggy after this. You can you can look up Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley, Squiggy, Lenny. Just yeah. just do it. You'll, you'll it's an it. American show, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 And and but this leads us into where the final scene is going to take place in the what I can only assume is the embalming room. It's the room that that uh, Halmar or Helmar's helpers or you know the major domo people like that <clears throat> use after they've sacrificed a woman or after he's killed somebody to um to preserve them uh for, for all time. Uh right around here, Lugosi finds Karen and 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 you know whips the sheet off and finds that his daughter's there. And Lugosi has this shriek that is just it just comes from the bowels of his soul, man. And, and it's just again, it's just why this it's such a good showcase for what he could really do if if you turn this guy loose, right? So so uh, you know, now we end up in this thing and, and Halmar is racing down the steps and he's whipping mm-hmm. off his, his Satanistic bathrobe and uh, and he's coming for him. <laughs> and, uh, I always and, seem surprised he didn't fall down those stairs when he does that because he does it, it so freaking quickly. I'm amazed it, the bathroom didn't trip him up or something. It it stresses me out every time because I see him stepping on his 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 belt. And I'm telling you, it's one of those things that that every time I see the movie, I, I'm convinced Carlos is going to trip and go down those stairs. <laughs> So, so, so it, it does seem like now they're they're in the room that that Halmar uses to embalm his victims, right? Uh, you know, the, not only just his wife and 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 you know, but but also like the you know the the, the women that his cult sacrifices. Um, it's got you know it's an operating table and a rack and stuff, and it's got an iron door that that locks you in apparently. So um, he oh, we we're talking about. Um, because he almost falls down. We're worried if he's going to fall down and trip on his robe. Yeah, Karloff undoes his robe really quickly. Yeah. And it's like yeah. he's about to fall down. Trods it on. So, so, so he's down to his like kind of like satin jumpsuit here. Uh, his skin tight jumpsuit. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we have, and and I get this is the first time we see it. We 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 see Karloff and Lugosi go, you know, fist fist to fist here, um, or or face palm to face palm, I guess, because they 
you know, Carl yeah, runs like, in. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They go at him and there's, the, yeah, there's this great scene where they're both got their palms, their hands under each other's chins and are shoving each other away. Um, the fight scene shot great. There's all these crazy close-ups. Karloff just looks maniacal and crazy. <laughs> I mean, Karloff really, again, like saying like how much he embraces this role. Like he just looks like a psychopathic um, as, as they fight and they're kind of evenly matched. Actually, they're sort of no one, you know, no one can get a, 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 a but, and I'm glad it's like a wrestling match. I'm glad it's not just like them like doing a boxing thing where they jab and they punch yeah, and stuff. It yeah. doesn't. It's it's a very personal fight. It's a grudge match, and they're just on the floor rolling around together and just you know in the in a clutch and stuff. It's very personal and very intense. Um, and then yeah, you know, uh, uh body man again comes in and sort of you know breaks it up and and gets Karloff in a little bit of a hold and or gets uh, Halmar in a little bit of a hold, I should say. And and this is all Verdigas needs to to get him chained up to this. There's like a rack with these manacles and stuff and he gets, which is very medieval thing to be in this modern embalming room. But hey, you know. Oh I mean, yeah, that is a good point, isn't it? Like everything yeah. else is so up to date. So why is that yeah. so old? My theory is that that's actually an original part of the fort and was maybe where they put someone in chains if they were deserted or well, maybe that's or what um, Palzig did to all those women, which is why there is a table um, yeah. there and everything as well. And I, I think maybe, he's repurposed it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, he gets uh, him chained up and, and as you said, Scott, like he, he strips him, he, he tears the clothes off of his body and you see Karloff, like this very, you know, sinewy, lanky, uh, middle-aged man, really like, you know, just, you see every like muscle and vein on the guy's body and stuff in this very strange torso, I have to say. Yeah, very short torso, isn't it? It's, I mean, his pants are high and stuff like that, but he's really uh, and and it's you know you definitely see it. And there's some shots of of him in the makeup, getting the the Frankenstein makeup with you know with no shirt on and stuff like that. Oh he's, yeah, he's, no, he's, that's he's a fun. lanky guy. You know, he he gets a little heavier as as the years go on because he can eat better. You know, they 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 talk about how the the face of the monster changes between Frankenstein and Bride because Karloff could afford to eat well, and he he lost a little bit of that that gauntness that he has in like the mummy and this. But um, yeah, he gets him, and this is where we have the line like, "If you, how's it how's it like to hang on your own embalming rack?" Which is a great great bit, and he uh, and he commences you know you know slicing away at him um, on his face. Yeah, Peter like manages to wake up and and get out of there and and you know he finds the guard with the gun dead uh you know squiggy uh gets to the door <laughs> and he can't get through the door and so so here's this moment where like i'm sorry like peter could be the hero maybe oh, a little God. bit and all he manages to do is you know he, he's trying to get the key you know what uh, joan is trying to tell him to get the key lugosi's trying to help her and and peter shoots uh Verdigast by mistake thinking he's he's attacking he's like, stand Joan. back Verdigast, stand back and it's like yeah. you can clearly see he's not is he doing anything right honestly it made me so annoyed when i watched this film for the first time because when we watched this movie and like a lot of the ghosty films he just bloody dies yeah <laughs> I, like, I, I literally i think i literally shouted at the tv i was like oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake but the next the nice dies. thing the next but the nice thing but that you know and, and i'm with you now but the next the nice thing is this is a great redemption like he's lost his wife and I'm talking about, you know, Vetus. He probably doesn't want to live anymore. He's lost his wife. He's lost his daughter. You know, his redemption is now saving, you know, Joan, saving Peter and allow them to leave. So to me, this is a fitting ending. Yeah, it would have been a, something a little bit, you know, maybe more heroic for, you know. Yeah, maybe he was like get stuck. Like he pushed Joan out the door and he get his foot stuck and he was trapped with the, you know, with the, before the dynamite blows off. Um, so maybe something a little more heroic, but this is a good, I think this is a nice fitting in. This is a nice arc for this character. 
I really wanted him to live though, because he was a good guy in this movie. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, I just didn't want to see Lugosi. Get but he was shot the walking. He was a living. He was a living dead, right? Yeah. I mean, he was. There was that's nothing. Re- there was nothing much left in him. I mean, yeah, I think- he's a revenant here. So yeah, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. There's no. There's no reason for Verdigas to continue on after. That's right. After his story was. This, his this story is, played out. His wife. Is end. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's it is tragic, and it's a little it's a little clumsy and, and goofy, and it doesn't it doesn't help the the Peter character. The, the only the only guy he manages to kill is the guy who's trying to help his wife. Right? <laughs> 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 Does doesn't help at all but another reason to hate david man (laughs) Um, we're gonna have to have t-shirts made for the 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 david manners (laughs) hashtag society yeah someone uh well someone adele site hashtag david manners blows um uh, (laughs) uh, might win us a wander a rondo award next year yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yes. Or might disqualify us for it, actually. Um, <laughs> um, so, but Peter does manage to, you know, finally get in, and and uh, you know, Lugosi's just like, "You fool! I'm only trying to help," and you know, and, and which is true uh, in his own after his own manner. But um, I love um, it how his hair is all messy at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all he's all disheveled and stuff, you know. So, so Peter and Joan make their getaway. Uh, yeah, again, Vetus is he's not going anywhere. He's he's here for the end, and he's he's ready. Um, so we don't see Karloff anymore, obviously, because he doesn't have any skin, uh, and and that definitely yeah. would have <laughs> that definitely would have been a problem with the censors, I think. Um, but we don't even know if he's. I you assume he's still alive. He's not making any noise because again, the, the the moans probably would themselves would have gotten cut. Um, but I love the idea. So Lugosi wanders over to this panel bank of like switches and stuff. He's like, "It's the red switch, isn't it, Halmar?" Like he's he's relishing this moment. He knows he's about to die, and he's. But this has been his goal. He's he accomplished his his goal to some degree he is he has brought revenge to this guy who who took everything from him he took his his life his freedom his wife his daughter i mean halimar is the source of all of verdigas's mysteries mm-hmm. halimar must have just passed out from the pain and he's just one would assume yeah and the and his last line was it has been a good game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i and the one right before that again is that thing is like in a few minutes, you and I and your rotten cult will be no cult, more. I love yeah. the ro- your rotten, rotten cult. cult. So, per- so personal, <laughs> so personal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you give uh, you give Lugosi a, cra- a crazy line like baloney, and he sells it. But you give him a really <laughs> good, you know, you know, bun line like this, and oh, he, he just. If- if you love food lines, you should hear him say strawberry shortcake in broad minded. <laughs> really? It's just, yeah. So, so, you know, like, a, I love he kind of collapses against the, the, the switch. It's the red switch, you know, and you know, click, click, click. And you have this great, like the, 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 the circuits are flashing and stuff. And it's just enough time for, uh, you know, Peter and Joan to like run out the front door, which this time is not, not guarded, of course. And um, they get down there and you see the whole, the whole place go up and stuff. And I, I'm not sure if it's, I think it looks like, documentary footage from world war one maybe in the battlefield or something they use for all these explosions because mm. there's like a series of crazy explosions but it it fits and it makes it looks just just fine and um and you know peter and, and joan flag down a car which just happens to be coming by and stuff so so you know the the film ends with a bang um which which is not going to be the last time a universal film ends with you know the, the yeah. whole place exploding and fire exploding in, yeah. in, in bride of frankenstein in frankenstein meets the wolfman and goes to frankenstein and House yeah. Of frankenstein. <clears throat> yeah yeah it becomes it becomes like, you know you know what would really wrap up all these uh loose ends of the story would be 
<laughs> um, and Adele, we, uh, Scott and you talked about some, sometimes these movies just end the, you know, uh, like even the Wolfman, we were just talking about Scott. We were like, and Larry Talbot's dead. The end. Yes. <laughs> like, there's no, you know, Dracula. it's like, he they just, yeah, Dracula does that too. yeah, we were talking about that. This one does have a little coda where we we're back on. It's, it's a nice return to the train. On the train yeah. Um, Peter and, and Joan are back on there and Peter, uh, you know, after all this trauma, uh, is reading review of his new thing, and, and there's a funny bit where oh, okay, that we think we think this story is too far fetched, and he should confine himself to the things that could really happen in real life. And meanwhile, they've just been through this crazy adventure and stuff. So, um, you know, it, it it wraps it up kind of well. I I, you know, just to just to read, it, I mean, again, as I said, it's always this not just one of my favorite Universal films, it's one of my favorite films ever. It's a film that seems like it shouldn't have been made ever. Like I can't believe this film got made. Uh, as dark and twisted, unhealthily sexual. As it is, it, I can't believe this film got made in the period it did. Pre-code and, and Hayes Code. I, yeah. I do have a feeling, because like, Hayes Code, I think, did end in May of 1934, which is mm-hmm. the initial release date of The Black Cat, if I remember correctly, is the 3rd of May. But then it went into all cinemas on the 7th of May. And I honestly do think it has some responsibility of ending the pre-code era. Yeah. Because I, of all its subject matters. I, I, I do think so. I, I think it's certain- next year. Yeah, I think a certain person looks at this film and is like, we need to do something about this. <laughs> and you can't blame, <laughs> sure. you can't blame them either. Like this, and I'm not sure. No, I, again, and while I while I will say, like, I I think kids seeing Creature from the Black Lagoon and Frankenstein is is a great thing. Is is I think it's that those these are healthy choices to show if you want to introduce your kid to horror, those are healthy choices to do. The Black Cat possibly is not one of those things though it i I think it it is definitely intended for a more mature audience and because this is time before ratings you know there weren't r and pg ratings there weren't you know uh, adele like the 18 ratings in in other in other countries as well cinemas were open and anyone could walk into any movie and you know as as someone who who believes in the rights of the creator to express themselves as much as possible i also do think there is a reason we we do need to to have some guidelines so that you know people are exposed to things at an age where they can understand what they're watching. Oh yeah. And like yeah. you said, this the, the tonality of this film is so heavy and so dark. I mean, aside from those, you know, the two Keystone cops, like that little bit when they come in the, 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 yeah. the house, this is a dark, heavy, uh, unrelenting, yeah. unrelenting mono, you know, this is a, this is a rough one. So I, I guarantee you this had this, if, if anything, this probably ended uh, any kind of pre-code, <laughs> this this and this and uh yes. you know you know the other big one was Tarzan and his mate uh where there was there was a big uh, nude scene oh, the nudity, yeah. it came out the same year and I think it was it was a few things like this that that inspired that first wave of 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 self censorship within the studios but luckily it made it out before that and luckily we have it and luckily we have it in a in a very intact way because it's it's just mm. it's a it's a little miracle of a movie and uh, and every time I. Every time I see it again, it, it, you know the old adage. I, I see, I catch something new. I catch some little element that I hadn't noticed before, or I just get a new perspective as I get older and 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 keep watching it. And I think that's what's yeah. that's the gift that, that these films keep giving. Again, and it's not a fun film. No one, you're not going to sit and laugh over it. But if you're a Lagosi fan, or if you just want to see, you know, two titans, just good acting, good story writing, this is it. And again, I'm, I'll say it again. For me, I'm just I'm going through my mind's eye here. A better performance all around of the ghost in another movie. I can't think of one. For, this is just for me. Well rounded. He's, so he's so strong. Just from emotional context. Yeah. Um, it know, was also me, the first Lugosi Karloff film together as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like first movie. Amazing pairing. Eight movies together. Right, right. That would go on and on and on. And, and, and in my opinion, it's the best. I think they both get to play 
just the best characters and equal the run all the run equal footing exactly right yeah yeah it's it's a very it's really a two-hander in in the truest sense and even though Karloff gets top billing you know it's it's okay um i i think it's it's wonderful so all right good episode guys such a good choice oh Adele, we really can't thank you enough for joining if you're listening n-o-u-f-a-u-x.com nofox.com some awesome artwork i can tell you firsthand i've ordered from her shop within less than a week i got a great little package with a personalized note just i think she said you dirty american thanks for buying from me out of something i can't i can't remember what it is you well, it was something like that i got the uh the dracula oh of course, <laughs> of course <I> did. <laughs> but of course i did so adele thank you again really ruined so much you've been an, yeah. an awesome friend to not only me but the you know the show and the work you're doing in the horror genre lugosi um you know i know it's a labor of love for you but just amazing work and it's so important to have you know people like you out there to keep this thing going i i honestly do call it like i actually don't say this uh, if anything because i'm hoping i don't know someday i might do a book or something but if i was to do a book on just my legacy artwork because i would like to make a piece of art of every single film or near enough every film he's been in so some of his silent work and then all the mm. way up to edward and stuff because i've done a few already including the black cat which is mainly blue and orange um i would like to do a book of just all the artwork of his film but and i and i would call it labor of lugosi that's what i would call it as because not only is a labor of love but lugosi went through a lot of like laboring hard times himself as an actor and, and as a human being um also one of my favorite quotes which of course is the the freebie print you would have got is you know oh um if you are not ser- if you're not serious people will sense it and it's definitely a quote i do live by as well and it was interesting earlier saying about um with him with his acting um another quote he used to say because you said about like david manners who'd get paid a lot more for lugosi it was something like in hungary acting is a profession in america it is a decision Hmm. so that's probably why lugosi was a hell of a lot more passionate over what he did because he was in theater for many years especially like his resume on just hungry plays alone will blow your mind. I can't believe how much he was in. Like, he even did Romeo yeah. and Juliet as oh, yeah. well. Hundreds yeah. of films, um, hundreds of plays, yeah. Like so many, and then of course went through Germany and stuff. So with manners not having, you know, probably not as passion or as interest. Well, that's because he was very fortunate to be brought up in a more Western culture, whereas Agosi was in Eastern Europe, which still has some hardship in other countries and Hungary's history alone is very complicated. I have tried to look into it. Um, But yeah. And, and then, and then that with him being as an Eastern European trying to develop in America, like America cannot be as welcoming to immigrants and things. And he did face those problems. And then of course, Hollywood had those rumors about his politics and a lot of those weren't even true because um, there was actually a man in Hungary called Bela Lugosi, also an actor, but he was also, um, he was actually a terrorist, but he got mixed up with our Bela Lugosi. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, in, it's in the Becoming Dracula book. Like, I, I did manage, I can't remember which chapter it is, but wow. I have I never read heard it. that. Jeez. And yeah, and I thought, oh my God, I wonder if that must have linked to you know, back to Hollywood, because in Hollywood, they were like, oh, he's a communist and blah, 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 which made him blacklisted and for other reasons as well. But yeah, yeah, he had a lot of crap in life. And I just really, yeah. really wish he could see how appreciated he is today. That's yeah, I think I think that'd be really, I, I wish he could see, it's not just 
not just his influence in horror or in film and not just his influence in horror, but in, in culture as well. How politics. Yeah. Yeah. Synonymous. He is with a certain protesting uh, everything in the 40s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, free, 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 hungry from its uh, Nazism. Virulently anti-fascist. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm. I mean, addiction um, recovery. I mean, my yeah, God, the yeah. list goes on and on. No, no the the long, again, I was talking about the the long shadow Lugosi cast across our culture in many different facets. Um, and and obviously his his son and and, and his, his descendants have lived to see that, and and that's good. At least it's 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 really amazing. So um, way better than David Manners. <laughs> 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 Sorry, who said that? I think we Wait, said that already. Right? Anyway, there's someone else on the podcast. I don't know who did that. Oh, oh. Oh, it's me. I'm happy to say it. <laughs> no, why don't you like David Manners? Like, right. <laughs> oh gosh. All right, we're in trouble now. Bye. <laughs> All right. On that note, Adele, thank you again very so much, Cham. Thank you so much. You did a great job carrying the load here. I know this is oh. a huge help film for you, and it's such a pleasure for me just to just to listen. Really, I could yeah. take a step back and listen to you two just talk this film. I mean, oh. such a you know, it was an, it was a, it was a great pleasure to finally get to talk about this and talk about this with someone who's so first in in Lugosi lore like you, Adele. Thank you so much for being part of the show. I'm really happy to do it again. Like, if you want to awesome. talk about the Raven, and um, I, I think you've already done the Raven, though, haven't you? Yeah, we did the Raven. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Like White Zombie. My God. There could be there could be something in the future. We'll, we'll, let's, check, let's, we'll, we'll check. We'll. We'll check the download count, Adele. If the download count's high with you on it, we'll have you back. If not, <laughs> you, have to, you have to pass muster. There you go. Awesome. Okay, right. I'm going to plug you in now. Yeah. <laughs> plug some more. All right. All right, listeners. Hey, thank you guys so, so much again. And I uh, really always appreciate you guys listening to the Bogo Pass Our Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.